Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 27 of the Lay Film Podcast. I'm your co-host, Richard, and here with me are my other co-hosts. Patrick. Tyler. Kevin. And this is a film podcast where we get together to discuss the gems of cinema. And before we kick off to our featured review of Buffalo 66, uh, let's do a bit of a catch-up and talk about recommendations. So, anyone want to go first? Um, I just recently rewatched and showed Abby and her sister for the first time <clears throat> uh, Menace to Society. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> just dropping that right yeah. there. <laughs> that was, uh, I forgot how good that movie is. I love that movie. Um, yeah, that's a good rewatch. That's a, if you haven't seen Menace to Society, I, I highly suggest watching that movie. Um, yeah, that it hits hard. It hits hard for sure. It's like one of those movies you want that you've already seen, and like you get to show people, and you just keep looking at them for for their reaction. When yeah. was a uh, when was the first time that you saw it? My dad showed it to me when I was like I was probably like twelve or something. Dude. <laughs> Your dad's so yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like boys, I think we watched like all those like types of movies like pretty like back to back like boys in the hood uh menace to society did you ever see a movie called new jack city yeah new jack city he Isn't also that, showed me oh yeah, yeah. I, I actually i need to i haven't rewatched that since like i've became like an adult like i watched that probably when i was like 13 or something too. yeah wesley snipes killed in that movie mm-hmm. <laughs> um what's another good like belly belly with nas and dmx is another pretty dope movie there was like a whole phase yeah where where like you had like hip-hop artists like like blending into into movies like i think it was like during the 90s like that Mm -hmm. entire chunk right like like dmx was like notorious for like what's that one where he was in like jet lee or he was he was like fighting against jet lee or something like that um shoot i'm gonna look this up i know it's gonna bother me was it one with jet lee dude it might have been here i'm gonna Jet Li DMX. Tyler, do you know the one with Keith David? I think it's on the East Coast. Cradle to the Grave. That's what it's called. Okay. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I that. remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> Keith David. That's a great one with Keith David. I think it's a uh, a young child is like being set up or pressured into admitting guilt for a murder he didn't commit. And Keith David's like the. Uh, it's like I think it's more of a buddy cop movie though. Well, but yeah. Uh, what movie is that called? Is it called They Live? No, that's that's a gr- another great one. That's a completely different one. That's going to be a future that's episode. With, uh, Roddy Piper, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the maniac. <laughs> no, it's just a great line where, like, yeah, it's just... I think he's he's beating up on the real criminal. He's like, guys like you would rob Rosa Parks. And he goes, who's Rosa Parks? And he just turns him around. <laughs> like, Who the fuck's Rosa Parks? And he just starts wailing on him. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a certain energy in those movies that's yeah, it's gone. Yeah. It was in for a certain phase and now it's gone. Um, what else have I got? I mean Attack on I'm on the last season of Attack on Titan. No spoilers, I wanna talk about it so bad. <laughs> have you got are you guys caught up with that? I stopped reading it like in season one. Oh really? Yeah. I think I uh, I haven't seen this latest season. But I'm still, like, wanting to see where it goes. Like, for sure. Like, I'm just down for the value, like, the entertainment value of it all. Like, yeah. Dean, like, 
Uh, what's his name? Um, the captain? I forget. Oh, Levi? Yeah, dude, Levi. Dude, he's like, so fucking yeah. sick. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in the third season. Really? Like, there's one scene that I want to talk about right now so bad. <laughs> I feel so left out because I haven't seen it yet. It, kind, it reminds me of like Game of Thrones and like anime version. Without the sex and titties. <laughs> and the incest. <laughs> yeah, and the incest. <laughs> and the bad ending, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, for uh-huh. real. Wait, everyone here watched Game of Thrones? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, yeah. Oh, you didn't watch Game of Thrones? I, got, I read the books, and then I just looked up like a wiki. Oh, you're probably finished. better off reading the books anyways. Yeah. You're better off just watching, like, the first four seasons. I think I got five <laughs> in, and then... No, the first, like, every season is good up until... The last one or the I last think, two. I think yeah. season six is like season seven peak. is like okay. Like you can tell it's going the wrong. That's that's when they stopped mm. uh, going off the books. That's when I stopped watching. Yeah. And that's when it all got fucked up. Where they're doing Star Wars now? They're not even. They got. They got. Uh, they got fucking kicked from that. Oh, they're damn. not even doing it anymore. I think. Um, yeah, I think that's what happened. They saw the end of Game of Thrones, and Disney was probably like, "Whoa, nah, we can't go with these guys." <laughs> they pro- that, and what's probably funny? I mean, I imagine if they they purposely uh, cut you know the ending short just to get on like Star Wars quicker. Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> and then they ended up getting kicked from it because they had been on working on that show for like ten years. I mean, it's only like natural to want to do something new, but it's like, <laughs> yeah. You got to do it justice and give the people what they want, or just they, pass the reins. There were yeah. interviews between the the uh, what's his name, DB Wise oh. and David Benioff. Mm-hmm. Is that their name? Yeah. Um, some of the cast members were like questioning where their arcs were going and like some of the writing. Yeah. And even the creators came out and were like, "Yeah, I feel like the more they questioned us, or the more like they challenged us, the more we wanted to do it." And I think that really pissed off like some of the um, the actors and how they felt about like the way their characters were like their resolutions, their arcs were not like satisfying to them. Yeah, that's like completely disrespectful like, to to their investment in it. Like they, I don't know, especially if they're like taking it that much to heart. Like and they're concerned about like their characters, not even like not even like wanting to get more screen time, but to make sure that um, it's seen through like how they hopefully envisioned it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I read the books, and there's hints early on they're just going completely against the arcs that are already, like, written in, where you can see where certain characters are going. And a big reason I dropped the show is certain characters were just not... They were doing, like, the inverse of, like, expressed opinions already of a part of their character. Without It didn't feel earned. I think Stannis is the biggest culprit. I won't spoil it, but... He goes like directly against the book at a certain point, where it's like, "What? Really? It's it's oh, so infuriating." Man. And I always talk about this. I think it's just because he's not marketable. Mm. Like the Stannis, he's like mm. the he's the pure law guy. He's like the needful Iron Fist or whatever. Oh, he's, he's like, like the, the Machiavellian character, like almost maybe. He's like the Iron Fist to correct the evil of man. He's oh. aware of the evil of man. And, like, that doesn't resonate with us as, like, a society. Like, no, we want the fun leaders. We want the charismatic leaders. Yeah. I, I was waiting for, like, the, the Lord of Light to really be expanded upon. And I'm guessing that that's where, what you're talking about or, like... Well, in the book, there's, like, a good back and forth between, like, his his iron fist of, like, what's right and what's wrong and the betterment of people through, like, extreme cruelty. But he still argues it's for the better. 
and yeah, the pseudo, like the Lord of Light stuff creeping in and like the power he gains from that. Is him giving up virtue and stuff? Yeah, they portray him as like a character with great moral compass, and then they kind of fucking just like do a one eighty. Yeah, in the show, there's like one line, or in the book, there's like one line over and over, like when he goes and sees his daughter and all this other stuff. And there's no, I, the book goes past this part in the show, but there's a great line. Where he's like, "Oh yeah, I'd, I'd do anything to secure the daughter's future." Even if it meant like destroying the whole kingdom, expressly, that's like his yeah. motivating factor. Oh yeah, I can see how uh, that turned a lot of people off. You know, because that really, you know, if, if you diverge from that, that really, you're really assassinating that character. So, oh yeah, it's great. And the books were great. They're making like three spinoffs, I think. Three, wow, three new series or something? Yeah, I think prequels. At least one. They're doing like the yeah. Targaryen reign. Mm-hmm. It's the newest one. Damn, um, they're trying to win back their audience. Yeah. Hardcore. <laughs> they they should have been working on these prequel series before um, the the main sh- the, the flagship show ended. I felt like because people always want more, and as soon as that the flag show ended, they should have just had another one coming yeah. out. Everyone acts like they were, like, done with Game of Thrones. But as soon as a new show comes out, all of those fans are going to come back. They love that world, man. There's so much going on. Like, I'm pretty sure the history before that series was way more interesting. I also just started watching on Netflix. Uh, it was the first time I ever watched this, uh, Last Chance You, But it's, like, the basketball that they're, like, at, like, East L.A. Community College. That's really, really fucking good, too, actually. I've never watched those shows. But it was, it was always football, so I was like, oh, it's basketball. I'll check it out. And then it's it's freaking tight. Damn. And the soundtrack is so good. It's like a Netflix series? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it, like, chronicles, like, their season and just, like, all the players on the team and stuff. It's super interesting. Makes me want to try out for a basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> I can still go D one, coach. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm 26, but <laughs> it's more noble to just lay around and think about if you're just really good at basketball, <laughs> yeah. not really do anything. <laughs> Talking to the little kids, like, yeah, I played against, I played against that guy, like point, pointing at LeBron. <laughs> I always get weary when when shows make, you know, um, they make a series based off of, like sports. And so I'm like, does that actor actually know how to play basketball? Or are they going to edit it in a way that looks really cheap when they, you know, do something really awesome? Like, sometimes it doesn't feel believable to me. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm sure it's hard to find the balance of, like, being able to film that and actually make it grounded and believable that they can do that. Yeah. You know? Well, it's documentary, so it's... Uh, oh, it's a documentary. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, so it's like, they're just following, like, a team mm-hmm. through their season... But yeah, it's really good. Yeah, because I know that HBO <laughs> is making a series um, based on the Boston Celtics and, and the LA Lakers uh, rivalry, and they casted Bo Burnham as Larry Bird. Mm. Oh, and I think they had uh, other yeah. So it'll be interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Huh. I'm not a huge fan of Bo Burnham, but I I liked him in Promising Young Woman. So I don't know. Does anybody like? His stuff, like his comedic work. 
I remember, like, for a while there, he was really blown up with, like, his, his uh, comedy specials and his YouTube videos and everything like that. But mm-hmm. I, I've always kind of viewed him in the same band as, like, uh, The Lonely Island and, like, all that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Why not Pete Davidson? Does anybody like him? I, I've never heard of him. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Uh, I never, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like he's always rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But... I think I don't watch enough of his stuff to really hate. I like, think I just don't like him because he was like, uh, uh, what's her name? Ariana Grande's yeah. girlfriend or boyfriend after mm-hmm. like Mac Miller or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you know Mac Miller died and stuff. So I'm like, fuck Pete Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> Ariana Grande made Mac all sad. <laughs> Dang. I, I think uh, I'd imagine Pete Davidson because he had that movie called The King of Staten Island. I think, I think oh that's what it's called. yeah, yeah, and um, it's about like you know it's bringing more awareness to like people that struggle with like mental health and whatnot. So I feel like a lot of people like to idealize that and be like, "I can save him, sis. I can do it. He's just troubled and he's just a man child because he has no one to love him. I will love him and I will save him." <laughs> that's an interesting. <laughs> Because I remember the trailers for that, and yeah, there's the big, like, the uh, the man-child arising in our society, mm-hmm. and it's interesting to see the solutions presented in media. <laughs> no, love is going to answer this question. It's not, like, industri- industrial issues that we're not is absolving or resolving our inter- internal conflicts with the human psyche. No, you bring up a really good point, Pat. Like, no, you just got to find love, and that'll make things better, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that kind of is relevant to like what we'll be talking about later. Oh yeah, there is a lot of that man-child syndrome because people think that the only way to be saved is to be loved or romantically, and it's way more deeper than that. You know, some people just got to go to a therapist or something. You know, like you got to get yourself checked out, buddy. <laughs> so I find it funny, like not funny, but I find it kind of strange that like when we do have those resources or i guess sometimes it's not always available but like when there is opportunity to get help and talk about that that they just don't and i don't know if that's like because uh it's not um what's the word like it's not acceptable for men to like go seek help from a therapist because it yeah. means there's something wrong with you and you're not man enough to deal with those problems like it makes you feel emasculated yeah it's also like <clears throat> fucking just expensive <laughs> dude like going to do anything like that is expensive mm-hmm. especially if you don't have insurance and stuff and i remember though like especially when i was going through all that stuff with that job i was like my mind was going crazy i was like dude i need to go fucking talk to like a therapist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i really wanted to I, I still i still want to but it's just yeah it's like i don't think it's like a masculinity thing or anything but yeah it is like there's like something there that like holds you back mm-hmm. from doing it yeah i mean i think some people could just feel insecure about it you know like oh i can deal with this is you know it's, just, it's nothing i, I could do with my own emotions or or some other people i i actually knew someone whose parents didn't believe in mental health or like they don't believe that that's a real thing like psychology sure or depression like yeah 
Yeah, like just within the last 60 years alone, or 60 years alone, there's been like a huge shift in uh, mental health awareness. Like back in the 50s, like if you had somebody who was going through depression, they would like send them to like uh, hypnotherapists and like all these other things to try and like correct them. Yeah, or just send you to like a fucking boys camp and they're just like fucking macho as fuck like mm-hmm. stop being a pussy boy <laughs> <laughs> what was the uh was it hysteria was it housewives would be they'd be prescribed hysteria or something when they're mm-hmm. they're just having mental crises from like their domesticated life mm-hmm. like fully domesticated in the nuclear ages oh here's like drugs was it didn't they give them like big drugs back then oh yeah definitely like without a doubt <laughs> And I don't know, I just think that, I mean, even now, like, uh, you know, we're talking about, like, um, how therapy is, like, still rather expensive. I I can only imagine what it must have been like back then, like, how how costly it must have been. And even now, like, it's starting to become more um, accessible in terms of, uh, you know, you have therapists who are, like, willing to do, like, uh, online calls with, with their clients and stuff like that, which I think will help mitigate costs in the future, but... At the same time, it's there's there's a huge ongoing crisis going on in our country, and I'd imagine all over the world, like, because uh, for instance, in like Europe, like who knows? Like, I'm sure it varies by like country to country, um, but uh, I'd, I'd imagine that some of them have um, also like unique takes on on uh, mental health, and like not, even outside of Europe, like in Asia and every and all over the world. But um, I don't know. I'm hoping that it becomes more accessible because I too would would very much like to to figure out all of my problems <laughs> and see how I can like look deeper into them. And Pat, you were brushing up uh, on it earlier with the uh, the puer. Um, yeah, that's a big big thing going on in our in our culture. Um, I feel like it's only getting worse. Um, like I was reading this uh, this book called um, King. I, I always forget the, the, the name of, or the title of it. It's called King Warrior, Magician, and Lover. And it's like the four archetypes in the masculinity or in masculine, uh, yeah, in the, uh, in the, per, or in basically masculine form. And, um, it's basically talking about like all the different imbalances that you could have in certain archetypes. And, um, as like boys, you know, transition into manhood, um, there's like the rite of passage is gone. Like there's no, like the, the initiation process is, is like absent in our culture. So you have like the rise of the poor Eternus, which, um, basically gets stuck in the hero complex of wanting to take on the world and, um, basically seeing themselves as like the main character in their own lives, which is not the case. Like, um, all of us here, like we're all NPCs in each other's lives. And it's like, no, we're all active, cognizant beings who act and react to circumstances and are subject to the forces, um, at large. And I don't know, like the ego just wants to stay inside of that, that complex. And then it ends up stunting your growth. And then you develop into either a puer or puella doesn't matter. Like it's, it's just an, an ongoing, um, personality complex that you can get stuck in. And yeah, like as Richie was saying, it's very relevant to this movie. Um, not only with the main character, but with like everyone in it. And you can see like how it creates a ripple effect around every single person's life or lives. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, does anyone have any other recommendations to talk about? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm doing the film month again. And uh, Monday I watched, or the first, I watched a short film about killing. It's really good. I can't recommend it enough. Is that uh, Kislowski? Yes. Yeah. Yes. What is it called? Uh, a short film about killing. That's the title? Yes. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's not that short, and it's uh, really good. No, it's, it's a really good title. It's really good. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, it's like, who's killed? Who's the killer in the film? Ooh, I like is that. It like a whodunit film, or? No, it's more like a big old poignant film about society and man's institutions. Hmm. Never heard of that before. Yeah, I really love his... He has such a unique take on storytelling and basically just holding up a mirror to society. It's so slow and it's so visually stunning. Like, whatever they were doing, they had, like, probably, like, a, a gradient filter, it looks like, on the lenses. And it's just so stylized. It's, like, 80s Poland, late 80s Poland. And it's just beautiful. It's, like, it looks constantly like it's dusk. Like, the orange skies is orange and the grade. Uh-huh. So, yeah. It's really, really good. And then I watched Nuremberg last night. Or Judgment at Nuremberg, I think. Uh, not as good of a movie about trials, but yeah, it touches on the human condition as well. Dang. Uh, Richie, what did you want to talk about again? Um, like, the comparison between... Long-form content? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tyler, we had this conversation, like, about a week ago, and I spoke to Kevin about this, like, a few days ago. Um... <clears throat> it's mainly because I was talking about the four-hour cut of Justice League um, and how, like, you know what? There was actually a graphic that came out yesterday about how I think it's about 38% or, like, 36% of viewers who watched Justice League uh, that opening weekend it came out uh, actually finished a movie in one go. So <laughs> Wow, bravo. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, you know what? I'm guilty because I only watched the first half of that movie and then I took a break. So, and it's not because the movie was bad by any means. Um, I like the movie. You know, I know everyone here liked uh, my recent recommendation, uh, BBS, right? So, um, but, uh, I almost was going to send you a, uh, like this Instagram poll. I was going to send it to you. You should have. It was like comparing characters, actors who have played the same character. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, one of them was Christian Bale and Ben Affleck. Yeah. (laughs) And it was like, it was like 88% Christian Bale, Uh, 12% Ben Affleck. Like, I fucking told you, Richie. (laughs) Yeah, because, okay, so me and Tyler, we, yeah. So before we get into the discussion about the long form content versus, like, yeah, we can't go Seasonal down this, this path too long. <laughs> um, yeah, because Tyler asked me who I thought the best Batman was. And yours truly, and this is a very, this is not a, a popular opinion by any means, but I thought Ben Affleck was the best Batman, in my opinion. And for my own reasons, obviously. I mean, every every portrayal of Batman has its nuances. It's been different. Um, I don't know. I, feel, I just like the... The football player Olympian looking version of Batman. I when I watched the the those, Dark Knight those Returns, pecs, man. Those pecs. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the animated version of the Dark Knight Returns, and that that version showed a different kind of Batman, where he's like super old, but he's still like this linebacker. 
beaten up people so for his age. Yeah, and um, I think that that's what they were going for in this new iteration. And um, yeah, so <laughs> this four-hour version of Justice League, I think it did. Um, it corrected a lot of mistakes that Joss Whedon uh, did on the original 2017 release. And for a lot of reasons, not just because of Joss Whedon, um, it's the the WB executives just uh, went out of their way to destroy um, Zack Snyder's vision. And um, the fact that they're not Warner Bros. anymore, they turn into Warner Media, and it's also part of AT&T. Um, yeah, they decided, you know what, give Zack his vision. We want to see what he wanted to do. And I thought every... Every minute of this four-hour cut was worth it. I did see the uh, what they changed and what uh, was it Whedon added. Mm-hmm. I I think you guys know my opinions on those movies. Yeah, you love those movies, man. <laughs> Pat's like got smoke coming out of his ears right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I honestly, when I did see the changes they made, it was it was obscene. It was nothing short of obscene, and I think this connects. Is it Puel, the Eternal Child? Philosopher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Puera pu- Puella. Yeah. A reason I don't like those movies, it's like, uh, just like with the, the film we watched today, as well as like just popular culture right now, there's a certain obsession with like the children's material that's ever prevalent in our, even our adult age groups. Like Disney's still huge. Star Wars is still huge. All this stuff is still so huge. And I think that's a big factor of it is like we're still eternally children and like the, we're being psychologically curtailed and undercut. And the milestones are now like reduced to just jobs. Like when did you get first? When did you get your first job? When did you get your license to drive to your job? Or at least out here, that's what the feeling is. And it's just it feels like there's an alienation happening. And to see Whedon, his changes to the Snyder cut or whatever, it was obscene. That you see how pedantic or just like the the humor was there. I just saw like cuts in the color grading. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Snyder's Justice League is like the highest art or the work of art, but just seeing the changes made, like the corporatized changes, the snarky one-liners, just to imitate another mm-hmm. superhero genre film or the other competitive film, it just feels like like all this money went to make something that's essentially nothing. Yeah. It's just an imitation of something else, and it's just why we could have fed people. I would have mm-hmm. rather we not got the movie and just fed people. Well, the whole reason why that was even... Um made was because of the wb executives wanting their um bonuses Bef- uh yeah <laughs> they wanted to release the movie before the end of the year in 2017 the whole reason why they rushed production and zach snyder essentially got kicked off because he had a death in the family and he just had so much going on and so wb was like oh this is a great opportunity to just hire somebody new because we're not going to wait for zach to you know take his time in the grieving process to make this movie. We're just going to hire this other guy and, you know what, make it more Marvel-like. But essentially, like you were saying, um, Patrick, that all these one-liners, these jokes, the, the tonal shifts that did not service the story at all. It does not work. It, it does not complement what Zack Snyder was already doing. He already filmed a great portion of that movie. Um, and he had the choice to utilize a good amount of Zack Snyder's footage, and he did not use it. Like you said, <laughs> the added scenes, um, yeah, it just didn't work. Um, Do you guys think, like, 25 years from now, uh, 
three hour, four hour movie will ever like have success? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't like unless it's like regarded as like just a straight fucking classic, or if it's like Star Wars, I guess. But like in this TikTok age and Instagram and everything, instant gratification. Nobody wants to watch a, a fucking three hour movie. Yeah, it's like our, our nobody can do. You can't do it. Like it's your brain's trained to just watch a minute long video. Even that's too long. I, a I lot com- of the time, I completely agree. Like, um, remember in our conversation, Richie? Like, um, I don't know. I this is my theory on it. So I think that the reason why people are so, I mean, the the appeal of watching, let's say, like a um, a twenty episode uh, series. Like, and just binge watching that compared to like a four or five hour movie all in one go. I think that the reason why option one might be more accessible is because you have more, um, you have more, uh, you have a quicker turnaround time of arcs going yeah. on. Like, you have a setup, um, conflict, payoff, setup, conflict, payoff. And then within that, you have like, so you have like multiple like circular uh, movements lining up one after the other which represents episodes, right? And then within that, you have arcs that span across like a few episodes versus an entire season. Whereas with um, a four to five hour long movie, you have larger circles within um, uh, that, that span of time that make it uh, much more difficult to digest the information because it's being drawn out. Whereas with the shorter episodic content, you're being like fed so much information all at once that you don't have much time to digest it. So you get more and more invested into it. Whereas like if you're left to your own, um, imagination, like during like, let's say a slow, a slow burn, like four to five hour long movie, like that's when you tend to get, you dip in and out of interest with Mm -hmm. it. It's too much, too much critical thinking for our monkey minds. (laughs) No, I don't know. I feel like it's just because like, um, as you were saying, like we we're just being like, it's it's like the age of information right now. Yeah. Like there's so much content that's like vying for our uh for you know our interests. Like we go outside, we're like bombarded with uh with ads, colors, like all these messages to try to get you know to grab our attention. Yeah. And when you have like these like because I am um like when movie theaters were like first becoming a thing, you would actually go there and there would be like intermissions and stuff. Like much like uh, theaters and plays and whatnot, and it would be like an all day like event for for a lot of people, I'd imagine. And even like back before movie theaters, like with theaters in and of themselves, like if we're talking like Shakespearean stuff, like during that time period, that would legitimately be an all day thing. Like you would go there, you'd be like standing in like the theater, and like I don't know, like I just feel like because of like the the increase of information and the accessibility of it all, it's just making us more hungry for information. Yeah. And going back to, um, what Pat was saying, like, um, with, uh, the commercial, the commercialization of a uh, childhood fandom that, and like the instant gratification is like an insatiable appetite for, um, uh, only, I don't know, only, uh, only going after what it is that we want, which is more superhero stuff, which is more like action, which is like more like, um, we're almost like creating our own version of the American dream, but in a fantasy mm-hmm. element or a fantasy setting. And 
like you know you have like disney plus like capitalizing on all this stuff with like with um you know bringing back all the cartoons they had and like uh star wars and Marvel. star wars more yeah like all this stuff and it's like it's like slowly but surely like creating the death of like new ideas yeah there was a the new there was a smarter podcast than yeah i listened to and they touched on this in regards to smarter, way smarter, way smarter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they talk about the current rise of like infantile fiction to the popular main adult culture sphere. Uh, do you remember the podcast name? Do you want to give them a shout out or I fuck them? I'd be too embarrassed. <laughs> 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 They're way too big. Everyone, if you know it, you know it. But yeah, they talked about like the rise of the superhero stuff and like it's a lot of market forces shifting responsibility and placating us as people from our alienation like yeah the gratification of watching the superhero beat the bad guy is better than looking at the political stuff that's happening now with blank and blank and the issues that seem unsolvable like climate change like superman's a good escape because climate change is happening in our world we want we want to believe that something like that can happen to us to save us from the impending climate change or financial change or whatever changes there are that's why i love bvs <clears throat> VVS touches on it. I like that Superman destroys a drone. I'm like, I'm down for that. <laughs> if there's a Superman film that was made, or, or yeah, it's just Superman just straight up like checking power across all like humanity's power, and then the whole like discussion of like what's like should we be allowed to be fucked up, or should we be guided by omnipotent? omniscient alien? I don't know. That's a hard answer. Maybe we should write a superhero script. <laughs> Yeah, you can come up with it right now on the fly. <laughs> but I think this connects to Buffalo 66 too, where like I was aware of some of the context now. I still don't know a lot because I don't, I have like a strong, I don't know, I'll try to articulate this. But with the creator of the Buffalo, he falls outside of a certain accepted political spectrum in the media class. And it's just, it's, I'm so defeated by like our alienation and the like the superficial instant gratification of our media that I I don't care about his political beliefs or anything of both the director of Buffalo 66. Contrary. Are you saying that cuz you like the movie? And the movie's good too. <laughs> I like the movie. <laughs> but the fact is it's a good movie and the guy he could be whatever but the movie's good. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just not yeah. I just saw, I just heard a good write up about like the infantile media and it's a substitute for change we can't make or we're too afraid to make or the forces that create the media don't want us to make. And yeah, it's become like a psychological hang up where now we expect the media itself to change others and we accept, we expect that people who consume the same media will have the same belief systems. And if they don't, they're not conforming to this and they're an adversary to us as an individual and they should be. Ousted by society, and I think Buffalo 66 <laughs> touches on a lot of those themes from someone who, I guess, could count as falling outside our society or outside of the media sphere. But if you think about it, he's a product of all of that, just like we yeah. are. We're all products of <laughs> yeah. it. But it's just, yeah. It's how aware you of, are of it, and that's why I think he's trying to say something about the film, regardless of his outside mm -hmm. personality. I think he touches upon it. No, actually, not even touches upon it. He digs his hands into it, like, very, very well. Like, it's one of those movies where, um, like, I remember the first time I watched it, I really enjoyed everything. I mean, I enjoyed it stylistically and just for, like, the uniqueness in its tone. 
Um, of course, like there's a lot of questionable, st- questionable stuff that goes into the storyline itself. But um, as I reflected on it, on it, like uh, a few days afterwards, it was like one of those earworms where it like slowly burrows its way into into like your mind and just like starts um, planting all of these seeds of like discussion of like things that like you may have like always thought about, but you know, you never really saw it in a visual representation or um, it's just giving you the words and like the sentiments towards how to go about looking at it differently. And then on the second viewing, it just hit it all. The- <laughs> like it's just, it's just hitting it all the more for me. So with that being said, should we, uh, well, do you have any recommendations, Kevin, before we segue into our future review? Oh, I'm ready to get into it. Okay. So, yeah, thanks for bearing with us. Um, let's talk about our first initial impressions of this film. We'll give it a rating, and then we'll get into spoilers. So, if you guys have gotten this far, watched a movie. Um, it's available on Prime. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's available on Prime. Um, yeah, definitely support. I mean, I... I don't know if I, uh, you know, okay, let's talk about it because I don't know if I, if I should say we should support this movie because there are some very problematic things about it, and I've been stewing on this for a long time. So yeah, let's just let's just jump right into it. Turn that knife away from me, please. Are you pointing a knife at me? Is that why you came here to stab me with that knife? Huh? Will you turn it away from me, please? Honey, honey, just... Turn it away, please. What? What? The knife is not pointed at you. Yes, it in a non-spoiler fashion why should we support vincent gallo's problematic movie because <laughs> i think it's it's one of those things where is the movie problematic or are we problematic is society problematic is are you allowed to make a movie about this I know there's French directors who've pushed on the way more. Oh, than yeah. This guy has like stuff where like I don't think I'll ever watch a movie because it's like I, I think it constitutes this like illegal media to have here. I think that's more like maybe that's more problematic for a Western American audience. But this this is just a uh, to me, it's just like a grounded, not maybe ground, but it's a bit of an eccentric Americana tale and like what year is it even six late 70s oh uh it was made in 98 and i believe that it was probably set no it, it was probably set around that time actually because um you know buffalo 66 that's like when he was born okay. during the uh the super bowl and um yeah i'd imagine i think it takes place right around the 90s so like mid to late 90s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay okay whenever yeah I could figure it out right now. I think, yeah, 90s. So, for those of you who haven't seen the movie or want a quick synopsis, I'll read the synopsis for Buffalo 66. It's written and directed by Vincent Gallo, and is about a man named Billy who was released after five years in prison. And in the next moment, he kidnaps teenage student Layla and visits his parents with her, pretending she is his girlfriend, and they will soon marry. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, so it's set in like 1996, like mid-90s. Okay, right around that time was made. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think there was a cassette. A lot yeah. of cassette talk. Mm-hmm. I was like, at least 80s. Okay. <laughs> I don't think this movie's problematic, though. I think actually it's it's like the opposite of problematic, if anything. It made me realize, or not realize, because I, I always try and like... Uh, tell myself like you never know what like people are going through or what they've gone through yada 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 like i think this movie really portrays that well of like you know you might meet somebody and be like this person's fucking weird or like what's wrong with them like it's just a bad person but then like in this movie you see what he's gone through and how he was raised and grown up and then you're like oh there you go that's why and um, I don't know. I think if anyone watches this movie, it I feel like that's got to be one of the main things you take away from it is like you never know what somebody has gone through or just because somebody is, you know, a piece of shit doesn't mean they're just choosing to be a piece of shit because they want to be a piece of shit. It, there's like reasons why they became the way they are. Oh, no, for sure. There are reasons why. He's a piece of shit. And <laughs> yeah. there's a reason why a piece of shit character like him is gonna, <laughs> wants to do more piece of shit things. Um, I mean, even after... I'm, I'm, no spoilers, Jared, but even after the film ends, I'm, I'm just thinking like, well, yeah, the movie ended, but it doesn't necessarily mean the ending of the problems that, that are still at the forefront of the story. Like, like uh, after our Discord, I did mention, like, I kind of compared it to Taxi Driver. Um, and I thought about this more and like, just imagine if in Taxi Driver, Robert De Niro's character, you know, kind of strikes almost like this romantic relationship with Jodie Foster's character. Like if, if you imagined if her character was a little older and not, you know, this young, young teenager, I mean, Christina Ritchie's character is a teenager in this film. Um, and I know that in Texas, I think the legal age to like date someone is 16 so like her character is anywhere between 16 and 18 so i'm just saying i think there are similarities between those two movies and we can say that in taxi driver you know he redeemed himself and you can say in buffalo 66 he redeemed himself but i don't buy into that i can't accept uh the Stockholm Syndrome type relationship that uh, Billy has with Layla. He induces all these fantasies onto her. Yes, the movie is brilliantly filmed. It's so immaculate. The cinematography is amazing. But is it worth all the trouble from behind the scenes, all the, the drama between him and the actress Christina Ritchie and how much he did not like her performance? Um, that's why they were back and forth on that the whole time. Well, I mean, just one of many problems, you know, like firing the cinematographer, like you mentioned, uh, before Kevin and, uh, our, uh, conversation last week. Um, I don't know, But it's man. like, you know, if you don't know these things. Yeah. It's like, it's, I think like right now, um, I mean, there's a there's a firm disconnect. I mean, there there should be a firm disconnect between the actual art piece itself and everything that went into it. Yeah. And it, there's also another 
separate border between the artist versus the art piece. And yes, there's, there's going to be problems in like everything. And this is not me justifying those problems. I'm just saying that problems will exist regardless of like any movie. Like there could have been problems on set with like Batman versus Superman or like anything like, because that's just the way, like (laughs) that's just the way everything works. Like the more and more people you have, in the mix, the more problems are going to arise, right? But with that being said, Kevin, even even when we streamed this movie, I had no idea what the movie was about. Mm-hmm. And even during the whole movie, even from beginning to end, I still had those same feelings. Even without all the background information, I was still conflicted the whole movie. And I'm, and even with without all the pretentious, pretentious bullshit that Vincent Gallo performed. <laughs> Outside of that film, I don't know. The the relationship between the two is just it's not healthy, it's not toxic. Well, let me give you well let me let me bring up a few other examples into the fold. We have Lolita, obviously. Mm-hmm. You have uh the professional. Um I'm gonna be honest, Leon is a much like if we're talking about problematic movies, Leon, Leon is more, way worse. Is way worse than yeah. this movie. I think I for sure. wouldn't say if one is worse or better. I still think like the if, portrayal if we're, if we're going is off of awful. The, if we're going off of the age the assessment was, of it. I was much more uh rubbed the wrong way after watching Leon than uh Buffalo 66. Yeah, because like the character- I watched Leon the Professional on an airplane and I was like, this is weird right now. Like, is, this plane, is this plane landing are, in prison? Are people just, <laughs> yeah, are people, am I going to get in trouble for watching this right now? <laughs> like, if, and like, I, I feel like Luke Besson is like probably the best comparison when it comes to like, um, you know, comparing him to, Vince, to Vincent Gallo, like just two different artists, but like similar, coming from similar backgrounds and having like similar approaches to things. Um, yeah, I'm. Just, I'm not saying that I'm like for or against either of them. I'm just saying that that's a pretty, it's a pretty good comparison. No, I, I think you have a really good point there. Yeah, I'm mean, even the first time I watched Leon, like it was very weird. It's very uncomfortable. This older man, almost being like a father figure, but then like she's like throwing herself at him. Yeah. Um, well, you guys know the I original script ending, right? Oh yeah. Okay. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't actually. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. It's not. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like, can we can we can we do like a disclaimer? Like, pot like mute your volume for like the next twenty seconds because I want to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's yeah. only on the professional original script ending, and then we'll probably talk about the real ending real quick. Okay. Ready? Go. Uh, in the script, uh, they fall in love, don't they? Mm-hmm. And they run away together. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Uh, oh god. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like twelve or she's like, like yeah. thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's always great jokes. And he's like, like forty-two. <laughs> you may have the mind of a child, but it's like that's one of those things where you, yeah, the joke is you look at the director's script and you're like, oh, you should be able to like can we lock you up for this. <laughs> you're showing your hand, I think. It's like a, a bit of a yeah. And then I think I wanted the touch on the uh no wait sorry i interrupted sorry richie didn't i interrupt i don't i don't no, think no, you no. interrupted no. i thought i just brought mm. up the ending real quick oh no in the middle okay no we're just we're just shooting from the hip but yeah the uh i will go on a limb vincent gallo i will i will say vincent gallo is better than other artists or more personally that's let me correct that he's not better 
to me personally, with the artists and the media he creates and the connection between the two, I find Vincent Gallo far more endearing than Woody Allen. Oh, yeah. I have, like, a serious loathing Oof, for Woody Allen. More shots fired? <laughs> or just, like, yeah, just the... Or even Roman Polanski. Polanski, I love the pianist, but it's just... It's so hard to disconnect him from that. Like, I don't even look up his other movies now. I just... The pianist is the pianist, and I try to separate him in my mind as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's just, like, I think... To me, Vincent Gallo and Woody Allen are great. Not great comparisons, but it's just, like... Personally, there's like a value system where like there's a class-based thing of like whose film do I want to care about? This problematic Vincent Gallo about lower-class Americana and the struggles in that, or Woody Allen. I don't care what you say. If you're like middle-class in New York, you're of a comfortable class in the greater sphere of America, and mm-hmm. just yeah, just him having trouble with beautiful women falling in love with him all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, one of those feels like masturbatory to me almost. I have no interest in him. And the other one, I at least find some common ground with. I completely agree on, because, um, I'm of the mind that, uh, Billy's character started off, you know, you know, was given an equal chance much as uh, we all are hopefully. And then like, it just quickly went downhill and I was going to ask, but I'm, I don't think I'm going to, about the whole nature versus nurture argument. Um, because I, I think that there's there's equal play when it comes to both. And that they're both equally important. And that there are even other factors that go into that as well. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's certain moments. Like, it starts off, like, right off the bat, like, giving you a glimpse into his mind with all the trauma that's going on in just a single shot. And, um, like, we'll talk about that in a bit, but I don't know, like th- there could be an argument made with the, the Stockholm syndrome of, um, you know, uh, Layla's character falling in love with Billy purely because he's shown as like an authority figure. But I found the, uh, the themes that this movie discusses as a whole to be far more valuable, uh, in the grand scheme of it all, because it. I don't know. There's a certain like glorification that it does with uh, Americana and the American dream. And it's having to reconcile with the death of it. And if it even existed at all for it to die to begin with. And I view Billy and pretty much every single character in this movie as constructing their own fantasy to disassociate into like from time to time in order to maintain some semblance of hope and some semblance of um, acceptance in their own reality um, compared to the one that they exist in because I'm of the mind that there is no singular reality that um, we all have to subscribe to because it, like from the very moment we try to do that, we, um, we, uh, God, what's the right word? I don't know. I think that we take away from it because we're so biased in our own ways. Like even the way that, you know, the information is coming into our, our eyes and are being changed by, you know, our own vision and like the, the sounds that we hear and like the hearing ranges of like, there's so many different aspects that go into it that um, can change and warp our perception of, of the realities. And then once we have, I- once we have ideal ideologies brought into the mix, it's just, it's magnified like tenfold, like how problematic things can become and like the crossing of streams and like all that stuff. But yeah, I agree. I found this movie to be uh, very endearing in terms of um, 
how broken it was and how willing it was to accept the brokenness of society. Um, but, you know, if, if there's some semblance of hope to, you know, to grasp onto and to become the person that you want to become, if it doesn't mean hurting others in the process, which is very difficult to not do because, um, there's this book that I was reading um, called Sirens of Titan by Kurt Vonnegut, which deals with um, similar themes where um, the gist of it is that people are going to use other people regardless of whether or not they want to be used. And there's even this one character in it, which spoilers, if you haven't read it, um, her name's Be Beatrix or Beatrice. And um, throughout the entire book, she's wanting to not be used by her like omnipotent husband who's like a time traveler and um like to the like coming to the end of it she uh ends up becoming partners with this uh one time like multi-millionaire who um like they end up on a planet together and then she's like thank you for using me like that that's all i wanted to be even though she didn't want like she was throughout the entire book she was like fighting against this and it's like no people exist to be used and by one another and i don't mean that in like a mo in a malicious way or anything it's like people need other people that's it like that's it we need yeah it's human nature yeah and i don't know this yeah like i don't want to talk about like too much spoilers with this movie yet but mm. it's very difficult not to <laughs> should we dive into the spoilers sure yeah um so yeah, let's all give our ratings, and then let's get right into spoilers. So who wants to go first? What you got, Richard? <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to give the lowest rating here, but, um, you know, it's an, I don't know, man. I, a part of me really loves the, the editing and, and just how well um, position, position the, the, the cinematography is in terms of the framing and just like some of the most beautiful shots come from like, you know, in, in the bowling alley scene when we see like Layla tap dancing. That is incredible. I love that portion of the film. Um, I, yeah, I love like the jarring cuts in the beginning. I like uh, the use of like multiple frames to uh, give us a glimpse of Billy's life in prison, like in the very, very beginning of the film. I, I really like that, that we don't get exposition on what he went through we kind of get a good picture of that um i don't know a really good part of me does not believe that this movie is endearing to me in my opinion i think that is very manipulative i think it tries to manipulate us into trying to empathize with him just the way uh, he manipulates layla's character into joining him on this journey just so that, like, she can meet his parents so she can, like, suddenly empathize with him and then somehow fall in love with him. Uh, I think that, uh, Kevin, you bring up the point, uh, the Kurt Vonnegut, Vonnegut mm -hmm. film. Um, I, don't, I haven't seen that film. I don't know. Oh, it's a book. Oh, a book. A book. Yeah, okay, Sirens of Titan. Sirens of Titan, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, in the book, it probably gives more backstory to Beatrice, probably gives her more agency. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can tell me I'm wrong, but I think that in this film, 
in terms of handling Layla's character, there isn't really that much for us to go by for her. And I read a ton of reviews about how they cut some of her backstory. So it, it makes her more of just this like romantic foil more than anything. And I think that makes the film even worse for that. So I'm going to give the Buffalo 66 a 3 out of 5. Sure. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm not mad. Um, I'm just getting up and leaving. <laughs> I'm, I want to give it a... Um, I'm going to give it a uh, 4.25. Uh, Vincent Gallo's character in this movie reminds me of Robert Pattinson's character in Good Time. Like, have you guys seen Good Time? That's a really good comparison between the two. (laughs) Just like, um, I almost feel bad for like calling him like a piece of crap, but like. I feel like that's, that's kind of what he is. Um, and I think he just like the way he's written and his performance is done so well to like make you like almost despise this person. But then as the story goes on, you kind of you do start to empathize with him. And I don't think that that's a, a problem because it makes you realize that like I'm not trying to say that like people who do bad things need like. It's okay because they had a fucked up upbringing, but um, I think it is good to, for that to be shown and like recognized. And I think this movie does that really well. And then, like you were saying too, just like the cinematography is amazing. Like the uh, uh, in the climax, like the strip club scene with like the freeze frame and stuff. That was yeah. that was awesome. Like I've never seen shots like that from a movie this far back in the 90s um and like the soundtrack was was great um Layla's character I forget the actress's name Christina Ricci yeah Christina Ricci I thought her performance was like the best honestly I think she just encapsulates like I don't know I guess just like a loving person who just is like you know just wants good for anybody but yeah, I actually I really enjoyed the movie. When I when I was starting to watch it, I was like really rubbed the wrong way. I was like, I don't know if I like this movie. But then by the end, I was I was like, and then like throughout the day, you know, yeah, like you were saying, Kevin, it's like a like slow. What did you say? Like a worm dug into your ear or something? Yeah, 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 that's how it was. And uh, yeah, it, it stuck with me. I really liked it. I'm gonna give it a four point two five as well. And. Uh... Look forward to talking about more in the spoiler section or why, but I like the stylized nature of the film. I like the uh, setting. I like the themes it touches on. And uh, yeah, I like, I feel like it's not trying to answer anything directly. And I think this is a good, I think the film's reception. And I, I don't know if you guys do this, but I always do like a hypothetical like if this film was suddenly seen by everyone in the country, like the discourse around it, I would think is reflective of like issues being propagated to happen between us all that make us lack empathy for others. Like um, yeah, the Billy Brown, we see people far more worse off and destitute in real life all the time 
but we have accepted that like those things are unsolvable for some reason. And there's, I think there's forces that want that to be unsolvable in our subconsciousness. And I think that this film at least makes us be able to empathize a little bit with a piece of shit. And uh, yeah, I had the same thing as Tyler where at the start, I did not like it. Yeah. And then I think, I think the bowling scene is what, when the slow motion, for me, the most beautiful parts when he's putting on his bowling shoes and it's just like, uh, the sound goes away. It's all ultra close. It's just like a little window of two his escapism his like the one thing he has and then he escapes into it for a brief period and like oh we all do that in some way and this film touches on that and i can empathize with this character now because of that but yeah i'm gonna give this movie a 4.5 out of 5 uh the reasons why i really appreciate this movie just just for the the points that it brings up alone um I think that there is a lot that can be said about it in terms of a rehabilitation, um, childhood trauma, uh, the ways that we go about, um, or the interpersonal relationships and how close people can get to one another without hurting them and then also hurting them. Um, and then, um, being able to, being able to uh, choose what you want to do rather than allowing yourself to fall victim to your own actions before you commit to them. I think that there's a lot of uh, cautionary tales that can be that I appreciated from this movie. And from, you know, the first time that I saw it, I felt the same way. I, I, I felt very ambivalent about what was going on and conflicted. But at the same time, I'm right now I'm of the mind that it purposely does that. Like Billy is not supposed to like, he's, he's purposely a despicable character and you're supposed to hate him. And it does a really good job of making you hate him. And I think that, um, you know, even distancing, uh, you know, who Vincent Gallo is as a person versus, uh, his contribution to, um, you know, filmmaking with this piece. I think that he is very self-aware when it comes to what it is that he's creating and he's cognizant of that. He's, you know, yet another cog in the machine. And for that alone, like the self-awareness aspect of loan alone makes me view it in another light because it shows me that, you know, everyone's a few, a few turns away from becoming, you know, the person next to you, you know, like we, you know, all it takes is like a few bad things to happen for you to go down that same road or a few bad decisions or good decisions or, you know, um, taking a moment to stop and recognize like how your action could affect others and how it could affect you in the long run. Um, there's like a really good quote I like um, by um, Viktor Frankl, who wrote A Man's Search for Meaning, which was about um, like I've, I've probably talked about it before on the podcast, but um, he's basically a, a psychoanalyst who got a start in uh, World War Two. Um, at the uh, concentration camps and he uh, found that when people didn't have any hope to live on that they quickly expired in those camps and for him it was like the the thought of like being able to see his wife again because they were both separated and put into different camps and um, he was saying that you know uh, they thought that uh, the war was ending at one point 
and this one person was like holding on for like dear life and they were like really ill and then they're like oh yeah by the end of this month we're gonna we're gonna all like be able to get out of here and then the end of the month came and then the person died like that that last day when he found out that you know there was no hope um anyways he says um the quote goes along something along the lines of um Live as if you were living or live as if you were about to make the mistake that or live as if you were living for the second time and are about to act as wrongly as you did the first. And the ending of this movie is that to a T. And I think that for that lesson alone, that that warrants at least a four from me because um pat you you mentioned like um he doesn't like he raises issues and like touches upon things but doesn't answer anything explicitly i think he does answer that at least that part explicitly or at least like enough to the point where you can get a person's um like you can see a visual representation and um undergo it like through like a through an active experience of recognizing like oh he's about to make a terrible decision right now let's see how it plays out and then it completely shows you how you could have reacted um versus how you could act now and i feel like ever since i come across like that quote it's like caused like a bunch of gears in my head to like start moving to the point where i'm like oh i probably shouldn't do this right now (laughs) or oh oh like this moment who knows if it's going to happen again i should act upon this and like go with my gut um and yeah, I'm going on a tangent right now, but yeah, I I really like this movie. What are you doing? What are you doing? What? Don't touch me. All right, don't touch me. What do you me. mean, don't touch don't me? You're touch supposed to be me. husband and wife. I'm just we're trying to make. We're it the look couple good. that doesn't touch one another. We like each other. We like each other a lot, and we span time together. We just don't touch each other. All right. Now let's span time. Let's use a different color in the bag. Let's do blue. All right. This is the blue period where we get up. Get up. Don't touch me again, all right? Just look like you like me, and let's span time, all right? You got that? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, I don't want to waste any more money. This is my last $2 okay. I'm putting in. Yes or no? Yes. All right, you do it for me. If you don't want to do it, don't no, do it. No, no, I'll do it. Okay, let's look like we like each other and span time <laughs> and do not touch me, okay? Do not touch me. Okay, so, uh, do not yeah, kiss let's me. just go right into spoilers territory. Right off the bat, first image, Billy Brown photo the only photo of him in existence him and his dog bingo (laughs) and then it's just all downhill from there (laughs) bingo yeah it was weirdly comedic or like i don't know i don't think it was meant to be comedic but like the memories when he's in the home just how sudden and drying they were just coming out like oh that's the one yeah the photo of him's like in the pantry in a drawer while there's a buffalo football team shrine behind him at the dinner table that's actually his i believe they filmed at his house that's actually his house yeah this movie is definitely feels very like autobiographical mm-hmm. um you just saying that though pat right now like i don't know why but like do you guys know the meme where it's like I'm tired of I'm tired of doing all this digging, Grandpa. And it's like, well, that's too damn bad. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that meme is like is uh, Vincent Gallo's characters like in cat. That, that's his life, literally, in a meme in this movie, <laughs> or his upbringing at least. But one of my favorite scenes is um, 
the scene where his dad is uh, sings to uh, Layla. I thought that was like that may be my favorite scene in the film. Actually, that was like the creepiest moment for me. It was definitely creepy as <laughs> fuck. But I feel like it's like um, I don't even know how to word it. But it's like what you were talking about earlier, Kevin, about how like we all like have these things that like we like his mom like just watches the Bills game. Like, I think she's watching, like, an old recording, too. Like, and she's, like, acting like she's watching it live when it's, like, you know what happens. And, I don't know, we just have these things that we, you know, like, hold ourselves to to, I don't know, make us forget about everything else or, you know, escape. And you could tell that, like, his dad, I don't know, it's obviously not happy with the life he's made. And used to be singer and whatever and you know that that one moment is feels like special even though it's creepy i think it's creepy because of how he's acting before yeah but that moment is like it the camera does like the spotlight comes into the frame and all Mm -hmm. that and it is meant to be more of like a trend not transcendent but it's like meant to be an internal like he actually cares deeply about this yeah and if you if you've cared that deeply about something you should be able to at least empathize with him on this level even though he's been lecherous up until this point yeah <laughs> and then yeah it ends and then he's back to being mean and lecherous but yeah i see what you mean it, mm-hmm. it was creepy because of the context i had before it but in hindsight yeah like, yeah he, just that like s- small moment even he opens himself up mm-hmm. like I, I really appreciate um the moments that it does that throughout the movie because it shows that underneath all the grime and murk there are brief glimpses of humanity within each character that gets buried over time with and you know going back to the uh, the eternal child like even in that moment like ben gazar's character like becomes a child again mm-hmm. like you literally see it happen on screen even though he's like this very he's like in his like 50s or 60s even and even with Billy's mom, like Angelica Huston, um, they're both so childlike to the point where, you know, uh, you know, as she's watching the child, like you said, Tyler, like she's watching that same game over and over again. And she's watching it as if it's like the first time. And even Billy's dad, like when he's singing the song, it's like almost as if he's doing it for the first time on stage in front of like millions of people, like in his head, like, because you have these people who, um, have built up notions of who they wanted to become later on down uh, the life or down the road in their lives, yet they didn't do it. But in their minds, they think it's still possible to get that back. And that is like the thing that Billy's like conflicted about all the way up from his childhood up until this moment that we see him getting out of prison, like within the first five minutes of, of the movie. Um, and I think that the way it sets it up... Oh, and here's my argument for why I think that, like, Billy is supposed to be a hateable character from the very beginning. You have a felon getting out of prison. True. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> like, in the, fi- in the first five minutes of it. And um, we see him wanting to, like, you know, uh, find a bathroom. Which I think is, like... I think the comedy is intentional in this movie. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. everything is intentional. Like, so you just got out of prison and you're not... <laughs> you're too scared to just, like, piss in, in an alley or yeah. some shit. And then he, like, goes behind the car and then, like, the, the person, like, goes... And he's like... <laughs> it's like, why would you piss right behind someone's car like that? Yeah. And then um, the moment where he goes into the restaurant and then the person's like, oh, no, uh, you can't, like, no, bathrooms are closed. Like, you see, like, this, like... 
this isn't this is aside from my argument, but I just found it to be so comedic. Like it just goes to show like how um, xenophobic our society is in terms of uh you know not wanting to let somebody just use the bathroom because <laughs> it's yeah. like we're so untrusting of other people because none of us want to get quote unquote hurt. Um, but um, anyways, we see him go to this uh, dance facility, and then in the bathroom, um, he like there's somebody else, else like using the the urinal next to him, and then he like calls him like a slur, and yeah. he's like, "What are you doing, looking at me? Like, oh no, don't ever look at me. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you, and like all this stuff." And it's like, here you have a felon getting out of prison. Within the next like half hour, he's already threatening to kill someone. And then he kidnaps Layla, like, within, like, five minutes of that happening. I think, like, he's supposed to be a bad character. One uh, thing that I just now remembered, too, after, like, reading about Vincent Gallo, too, about, like, how pretentious he is and stuff, Mm -hmm. like, I think part of his... whatever like built up character of himself like bleeds into that scene when he, the guy's like looking at him pissing he's like so it's just big. so big oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, like how i just found it's that like, to be so <laughs> indulgent like he just acts like well it just it's, it makes made, it worse because he directed it he, wrote it yeah he, he <laughs> makes like the whole insecurity of his character like needing to use the restroom like oh he don't want people to look because it's it's so big it's so huge so it, it, that's why he has to hide it or you know when he's like peeing behind a tree and Layla's trying to look over I'm sure like that's part of the reason why he didn't want her to look in the first place because he feels so like embarrassed by it but like when you know how he is in real life and even when you read you know the the website that you uh, share Tyler of his merchandise he even <laughs> talks about like I'm sure there's no amount of like film or material where he wouldn't want to make a reference to his huge wang and (laughs) it really rubs me off the wrong way like we get it bro we fucking get it you want to keep talking about how huge it is so you're gonna make this punchline about your yeah i i don't know i think i think his character in the movie not vincent gallo but his character in the movie is embarrassed about it because of how childlike he is yeah no i think he's just trying to make it seem like the the director writer himself is trying to say oh no i am very humble about this because my character is insecure about it but in real life we all know you did that because you're pretentious and you're self-indulgent and you actually do care a lot about that and you think that's your worth like i think right now we're projecting a lot no, no the I, moment, I the moment he made that I joke was, i love a good dick joke dude like, the moment he made that joke i'm like five a day like i get it bro you just want to tell the whole world how huge it is I mean, especially i don't know no i went in blind so, so did when I. that line happened i was like oh that was a weird line to include like why'd they write that and then when he told me later like oh he's the the, the actor is the director and writer i was mm-hmm. like oh okay that was funny then actually <laughs> like, <laughs> missed the joke. like i said like I, I watched the movie cold and when that scene happened i just knew right away this this guy is just full of shit he just full of himself <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand. I mean, he also drops I, the F-bomb like 10 times in the yeah. scene. Yeah, you see him like taking on like this weird macho persona that his like dad um, pushed upon him like from the very start. And you just see him like try and be this explosive character and then deep down inside he's like a wimp. And it's like so funny to like, see it played out on the screen. Yeah, I thought it was like a bit of prison culture. Mm-hmm. Like why he's so guarded in regards to that. Yeah, I actually didn't even think of that too. You're right. Or that just, makes a yeah. lot of sense. 
the institutionalization or something. And yeah, like I like the beginnings. Like you do hate him, but I like the, the another comedic thing for me was the res- resolution of like he stops being like such a monster. It's just because he goes pee. Yeah, <laughs> like he's just angry. Yeah, like he's, he's already like threatened. He's like already like grabbed a guy by the neck or something. And, like say he's gonna kill him in the bathroom. And then he walks out and grabs the girl and kidnaps her. <laughs> and they drive, and then he has her pull over, and then he finally just runs out to like a field <laughs> and pees. Yes, yeah, sorry, I, I just really had to piss. And then, yeah, and then he like, I'm good now. And everything. <laughs> he's like, I didn't mean to pull your hair. Like I'm sorry, didn't mean to hurt you. And it's just like. It's just like this angry child that's like who didn't who, who like went without a meal or something and it's like suddenly hungry like within like 10 minutes of being asked like are you hungry? And it's like dude, you could have like gone to the bathroom before you left and it's like it's just like the small-mindedness of the character itself. It's just so animated cuz it's like I've met people like that and like they just like especially in like customer service and stuff too where you get like the smallest glimpse of it all. And it's just, like, so wild that, like, people are so, um, I don't know, they can be, like, molded to uh, such trivial things as bodily functions, like, that can affect their personalities. Yeah, like being, you're hangry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hangry customer, <laughs> their appetizer's taken too long. <laughs> yeah, and he, like, views himself as, like, a Superman character, you know, like, uh, having control of his life, being able to control this image of, like, oh, no, um, I, I'm, like, really successful, um, I'm bringing over my wife over to see my parents after, you know, on, like, her own private jet, like, all this stuff, and it's, like... Like, even he is, like, <laughs> vulnerable to, you know, being hungry or, like, having to pee or, like, do any of these little silly things. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. Like, I feel like I know a lot of, not a lot of people, but people like this in real life, too, who, like, it's like, your parents gave you such a bad upbringing, and yet you still, like, like, when he's going to prison and he's, like, talking with his buddy Goon, and he's, like... You send these in June, send this to my mom for her birthday in February, send this on Christmas. And it's like, your parents have been so shitty to you and you still just like, and it's, it's obviously, you know, something mental or just being traumatized. So you just always want to, I guess, want to, you know, impress them or make it better and just have them like you and love you. And it's just like, why, why? I feel like. But I feel like I know people like that in real life, too. And it's, like, sad almost that, like, they'll keep on trying and trying and trying. And it just, it's the same result every yeah. time. And that's, that's like, the heartbreaking thing, too. I mean, because, like, even when you, um, like, if uh, we were to open it up to, like, addiction and everything like that. Like, um, let's say that you have, like, family members who are addicted to substances or, like, gambling or, like, anything like that. Like, you have certain people who cater to them. Uh, when they're in need and all it does is prolong the issue of um, them seeking out help on their own. And um, yeah, Tyler, I think you bring up a really good point of like um, of uh, being able or people like wanting some sort of resolution to uh, fill the void in their lives that they never got maybe when they were a child or like um, or it could happen at any time in their lives. And I think case in point of that is like, uh, you know, (laughs) Uh, when they're at the dinner table and um, Billy's mom is talking about like how uh, she was like wanting to see like, or the only time that the bills won the Super Bowl is the day that he was born and she wasn't there to watch it because she had to go to the hospital and give birth to Billy. And she's like, if I, if I had a chance to do it all over again, like 
I, I would like, have I never, wish had, I never had you. Yeah. And she says that like point blank to him in front of like everyone at the table. And like, even Billy's dad doesn't say anything, which is like so heartbreaking. And then Billy's just there like crumbling like into pieces. So like, and then like what you were saying about like how, when he's in prison with goon or Rocky, <laughs> Rocky, yeah. I love Rocky. Isn't um, he in Rocky too? That actor? Is he? Is he? I can't remember. I thought for a second he was <laughs> maybe one of the newer ones because he I think he blew up. No, in the isn't 90s. he? Uh, he's like Rocky's like best friend. I forget his name. No, that's Polly. Yeah, Polly would wait be way too old. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like um, you you see him like continuing to build upon the image that he somehow feels that he can achieve to win the acceptance and love from mostly his mother, but like also his father too in the long run. And I think that even aside, like from Billy as a character and even outside of the world of uh, Buffalo 66, I feel like that (laughs) is such a problematic thing that our society is dealing with for who knows how long, like since time immemorial. And it's like, is there a solution to it? And I think that that's what I'm like really interested in discussing, like a, like throughout like the rest of this podcast. <laughs> well, I feel like at least there's a solution that doesn't work is for him to strike this romantic relationship with this really young girl. I think that I think that's also, I think that's part of the reason why the movie doesn't really work for me is because um we see throughout the film that he's like abusing her and neglecting her. I mean, still holding her hostage. Um, and also the fact that like we get this more fantastical idealized version of her when we don't really see who she really is besides some very subtle moments like the tap dancing scene or the photo booth scene. Um, I think in the end, she really just comes off of like just this, like I mentioned, like this just the romantic foil and nothing more than that. And I don't think that for a guy like him to be able to recover or rehabilitate from his trauma, I don't think that a relationship with that girl, even beyond, even beyond like the film's resolution, would help him recover. It is more than it's deeper than that, and the fact that like we get that ending, like uh, Tyler mentioned, Good Time, and and I really like that film. Um, and you know the the main character is despicable throughout the whole film. I hated him. I hated him so much. And you know no no spoilers for that film. But I think the way that that film ended was right. Like that character deserved what he got. And the fact that we don't we get a more I feel like more. This is one of the happier the endings. Of yeah, Life of I feel podcast. like the the ending <laughs> for this film. I just have a huge problem with that compared to something like Good Time where we do get like the comeuppance of that character because he is causing all the problems. He is the antagonist in his own story. And um, yeah, I think that's one of the many problems I have with the film, despite it being, you know, beautifully, wonderfully made. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I think that that's a really good point you make, Richie, because um, I, I really also like the ending of Good Time, too. Um, I found it to be so therapeutic and very sweet and endearing and, like, vulnerable. And I imagine this movie to be, like, 
if Good Time had ended, um, uh, I think you know where I'm going with it. Like, had, if if he get if he got what he wanted, if he or was if able he, to escape that situation, or not yeah. e- not even that, but to like um, to like before the final moment in that movie, like had he just made a different decision, like after like seeing how everything pl- could have played out or did play out. And choosing to actually make a, a good decision for once, like I like to think that this is that that ending would be similar to this one. Um, of course, like minus the relationship thing, um, but I think that I don't know. I like I said, I, I I get the relationship thing, and I think that whoever goes into this movie. Um, I'd like to hope that, I mean, it's kind of like watching, like, It's Always Sunny and being like, oh, yeah, like, oh, all this stuff's really funny. I want to really emulate all of these characters. And it's like, no, or like even people who like watch Rick and Morty and like idolize uh, Rick's character. It's like, I'd I'd like to hope that people who go into um, these types of problematic or not problematic, but um, these types of stories that have problematic characters can both um, can draw a line between how you should act and like the actual values you should uphold for like pure benevolence versus, um, you know, being manipulative and in order to get what you want in life by emulating these characters, because, you know, you see them as like these all powerful, like really charismatic individuals because Billy is charismatic, like regardless of like whether or not he's a bad person, like he is charismatic. And like, when you have that type of power, you have power over others and it's like what you do with that that matters most. And um, I don't know. I like if you go into this movie, like you make your own decisions, of course. Like whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I'd like to hope that a lot of people, when they do watch this, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, Billy's a bad guy. Why would I, why would I want to be like him? Why would I want to you know uh, go to these lengths to um, impress people and to build up this." insanely fantastical notion of myself uh just to like get my own ego boost and to fill this void that's been haunting me my entire life it's like no <laughs> like no there are pro- if you have problems you need to like take a step away from uh all your social circles and do some like serious introspection because i mean i feel like every like Solitude should be important for everyone, like regardless of uh, how much time you have to yourselves, um, how many obligations you have in life. I think that it's always important to um, reflect on like decisions that you made and to like always be aware of the effect that you have on others, because even the smallest things cast the largest of ripples. Yeah, I wanted to touch on the Layla stuff as well as the answer of the resolution to Billy's dilemma. And the film has fantastical aspects, like the spotlights appear, stuff changes, all this stuff. But to me, I know it's this is one of those things where I'm making assumptions because there's no direct, there's no like, no one says, oh, I love you, Billy. She did say that, actually. I mean, like, uh, at the start, or like, there's no love at first sight. Like, there's no like zoom in and like the harps play when they first meet or when she, yeah, like. There's something about when he's like, he finally goes pee and like, she's in the driver's seat. Like she could have drove. I'm not trying to victim blame or anything. I don't know what the <laughs> proper context is, but 
Well, I mean, same goes for like a lot of like even abusive relationships where people stay in that relationship and people always say, oh, why didn't you leave or this or that? Like there, there's a lot of psychological. That's what I was like. Yeah, yeah. true. They just but, met and she could have sped off. That's where I'm like assuming like there's something there internally for her that we didn't get a direct exposition point for. There's no like big communication. And I think it comes later in the film when Billy enters his zone and she does her thing where she does the, the slow-mo thing of getting ready for her escapism parallel to Billy's when he's bowling. She tap dances on the side. And I thought that like that was representative of their connection that she felt and Billy's not aware of. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think the film's not about like their future or if it's going to work out or if it's helping them. It's just like a brief moment of Billy making a not bad decision and growing a little bit, probably not enough at all. Probably still going to mess up and horrible things will happen in his life. That's how life is for people like Billy and Layla. I think Layla lacks agency because she's representative of someone who lacks agency in our society. Like she, she's with Billy. Like there's probably people in Texas, like the same teenager dating the sheriff's son who gets killed by the sheriff's son and they just bury it. Like this stuff happens to us or the stuff happens around us constantly in our society. And I think the film's not trying to give her agency. It's just saying here she is. The only agency she has is opening up to Billy and helping him grow just the tiniest bit. And the concept of he can't get love from his parents, but maybe he can open up a little bit to get love from someone who seems to love him. And the film is not explicit at this at all. It's just, I'm making that I'm having to make some leaps with like the exposition of the slow-mo scenes and the hotel scene towards the end. But that's the feeling I got from that. That's the feeling that feeling is the feeling that makes me believe that feeling is what I felt convinced Billy not to do the action at the end and instead do another action. So I, I really liked Layla, but I don't think she was meant to be a central, central, central character. She's a support for Billy and the big thing is just Billy. The whole film's Billy. Well, I read some reviews that she actually did have more backstory in, in the script. I think they cut that out. But I don't. I mean, I'm. I don't have any confirmed like sources. Just based on what I read online. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like. I feel like the movie almost made me feel like his character can be redeemed at the end. With the, the telephone call between him and, and Rocky. How he's telling him, oh, you can have all my stuff. You can have my really super cool pen. You can have everything in there. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's nice, dude. Yeah, dude, totally go your own way, man. Like, Rocky deserves it from all the shit that you gave him throughout the years. Because you can tell they have, a, like, a tumultuous relationship. Like, he's the one who's always telling Rocky what to do, pretty much making him his goon, you know? that's He calls him goon throughout. And he's like, don't call me goon, call me Rocky. And... You know, he was very mean-spirited to him throughout the whole film. And I almost felt like he could have been redeemed until he took it all back and called him back. And he was like, no, actually, fuck that. You don't go anywhere near my locker. You don't take any of that stuff. And I was just like, man, buddy, the one... I think if you just had actually let that one go, yeah, I think, you know, you were close. I think he was close. And the fact that he went back to her again is just like, okay, you know what? No. No, I mean, yeah, I'm glad he didn't kill uh, Scott Woods, but man, 
I think if he'd just gone his own way after that, like just ditch everything um, and not go back to that toxic environment, I think that would have been a better choice and more redemptive in my opinion, but he just goes back. You know, I, I something just tells me that um, their future is much more bleak because of that relationship that he's going to develop with Layla. I don't know. I... I think it's bleak, but it's not. It's just a thing of like, yeah. Same, same with Goon. His relationship with Goon, like we've been the elementary school with, like Goon is clearly mentally impaired. Goon's probably gonna. He's in his. He lives in his parents' room. He's gonna do that until he's a ward of the state, because he doesn't have the mental capabilities to care for himself. And it's just one of those things of like, Goon's an outcast by society by birth. But Billy finds a connection with him, and even if it's like a hostile, overly joshing around, like they're both outcasts of society, but they're together. So their relationship, like I got weirdly emotional when he called the goon at the end. Yeah, me too. That and, was like the most emotional part for me. And, well, I, I feel yeah. like that was just, yeah. I mean, I thought that was really great too. That was a really good scene right before that climax. But I, I just felt like it was undercut right after that. Uh, when he calls him back, he's like, "No, I'm gonna take all my shit back." Actually, I think those are friends. Yeah, that's just no. like even if Goon is like lesser on the mental like, scale. Goon was also saying like, "I didn't want your stuff anyway." Yeah. Like he's still oh, staying yeah, like true to his if it to was his character. Just completely unconditional. He's like, "Well, I don't care. You can just still have my stuff." It's just like, no, the e- Billy's ego is back at it again, and I'm just like, yeah, but yeah. you can't like. You can't just, like, have the... I feel like it would be too, like, fantastical or unrealistic to just have this realization, and then he just becomes, like, this, like, perfect person with, like, I don't know, like, just realizes how to be, like, a consummate friend, you know? But like, he, he was still has that. his... He still has his... The, the, the steps were there. He, he was building that stepping stones with Rocky, and... And he, I don't know. He just, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Like, yeah, I'm not saying that after that realization, he's going to become a perfect person. But like we said, like he's really self-aware of what's going on. Like he understands the situations. He just chooses to. It was a, a small step towards progress. And then he just took a step back. In my opinion, I felt like he took a step back and went back to that hole that he shouldn't have gone back to. I, I don't see as a, I, I don't see as a whole of his creation. Like the way he treats Rocky and the way he is, is who he is regardless of like associating or projecting guilt onto him from our, from our perspectives. He's just Billy goon is goon. Their relationship is, it feels genuine. Him calling him back, because it's emotional. He's given him like all he really has or all he values most, which is his locker at the bowling alley. And he's telling him all the good stuff there, like my lucky pen. And yeah, Goon's rejecting it and he's expressing, like, don't do anything in trouble. Don't do anything to get yourself in trouble. And like, you're sitting there, like, oh man, if he kills, you feel, I felt weirdly worse for uh, yeah, Goon same. than I did for Because he's Layla. like losing his friends, like. Yeah, and he yeah and he's offering above everything, and then he goes against it, and then he comes out, and he has like the change of perspective, and he calls Goon back, and he's like, "Oh no, you can't have any of that stuff. That's mine." <laughs> but then he tells him about Layla, and he's like, "Oh, you'll meet her," and then 
it feels like it feels like he's grown a little bit and he's going back to the relationships and that's all he can do if yeah. he's going to get any better at all. He can't take a giant leap. Like I still think even with him making that first call is progress. Even though he retracted it, it was still progress because it's like literally he was the person he called him. Like like that was going to be the last person he talked to before he killed himself. This is like all, all – this is also only in one day, like less than 12 hours of, yeah. uh, of screen time with Billy. And I don't know. I – um. I think for being like a very short amount of time and like being reintroduced back into society for like within the span of a day, he goes through like all of like this buried pent up unresolved conflict that, you know, especially like we haven't even gotten into Wendy Balsam's character, Um, you know, and like uh, he's like, so, okay, so he gets out of prison. Already have a, already having a bad time because he didn't use the restroom beforehand, um, and then he uh, desperately wants to see his parents, even though they completely. It seems like they've forgotten about him, um, and so he tries to like build up this notion to try and um, you know be seen as he wants to be seen in their eyes to win their their um, their acceptance, and then. Also, like, he's trying to, you know, maintain this image with Rocky and stuff, who he has, like, going on, and um, also wanting to get back at uh, Scott Woods, and then also trying to win the affection of Wendy Balsam, who never gave him the time of day, like, in, was it the third grade or something yeah, like that? Yeah, the surrogate <laughs> of Layla. Yeah, exactly, and... Um, and you see, I don't know, there's just so much going on within such a short amount of time. And the thing that I loved about Wendy Balsam's character is like right up, right at the, right off the bat, like in the car scene in the very beginning where, um, you know, he's laying out pretty much the entire, uh, course of what's to come. He's like, no, I don't like your name. I'm going to call you Wendy Balsam and stuff. And I feel like he did that because he was hoping that his parents somehow knew that it was Wendy because uh, Wendy was saying that, you know, she lived like pretty close by to him. And um, it's a small town in like Buffalo. And um, I had a hard time when she says, oh, yeah, I'm tw- I think she said I'm 26 or I'm 28. It's oh, like, yeah. no fucking w- you yeah. look at her and you're just like, aren't you like 14? That's one of those like joke age, or jokes, yeah. It's just, it's like, oh my god, I don't know. But anyway, it just, it just hurts. Anyway, um, yeah. with uh, Wendy, uh, when we finally like get our first glimpse of her, like in the bowling alley, like we see Layla, see like, oh, who's this person in your locker? And obviously, like his locker's been untouched for the past five years since he's been serving time. Oh yeah, we haven't even gotten into that yet. Why he went to prison? Oh, yeah. Um. All right, so I'll just touch on that briefly. Um, so uh, Billy bet against, or he bet with the Buffaloes, saying that they were going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, didn't, you know, they didn't win, obviously. And then he ended up getting into an insane amount of debt to, um, I forget, Mickey Rourke. Yeah, his bookie. And then his bookie was like, oh, well, you know, since you can't pay this up, uh, you're going to take the fall for one of my for one of my friends who's, uh, you know, uh, incarcerated right now you're gonna admit guilt and then you're gonna go in for it he didn't even tell him what the crime was he's like no you're doing it otherwise there's gonna be like your parents are going to get killed and so billy does it gets incarcerated for five years still trying to maintain the image to his parents that he's successful gets out and then um all of a sudden like with layla and stuff they're together everything trying to make um this this fantasy become real and then all of a sudden we see wendy inside of a billy's locker and then it clearly touches a nerve he's like oh no like 
no, you don't need to know about her. And then, like, when they're finally in the restaurant and then Wendy strolls in with her uh, big shot attorney uh, boyfriend, you see Billy, like, you see all of this, like, pent-up trauma finally become unearthed. And it's like, who knows how long he's been burying that throughout his entire life. And I found her... Wendy's character was, like, so fascinating because she was, what, on screen for, like, maybe, like, five minutes. And she's just... She's completely, like, indifferent to Billy as a person. And she's, like, making fun of him. And they're like, oh, like, what's his deal? Like, all this stuff. And then he just, like, leaves and bolts. And then, I don't know. I love that aspect of it because he's, like, saying, oh, you know, like, we were together, like, all this stuff. And she's like, I don't think, like, Layla's finally like, oh, so you clearly weren't together with her. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, um in third grade, I really wanted to be with her. And then, uh, Wendy's like, Oh yeah. Weren't you, didn't you used to like live by me? Like I would always see you outside <laughs> yeah. of my house and like all this stuff. And it's like, I love how they just drop that indifference in there to show that like Billy is clearly not who he says, you know, claims to be. Yeah. Cause throughout the whole film, he built up all these projections and he's fabricated his whole life. Uh, for his parents and i yeah i agree with you that scene was really good and really funny because the real wendy got to tear down those projections that he was trying to convince not only us but layla throughout the film that um yeah that was a very good scene and i thought that was needed that we needed to tear down billy and 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 you know like wake up this is not reality this like this is not your reality you know like the the real thing is like you were a creep you know like you were a weird kid and you were stalking wendy for a long time and you had these projections that projections that she was your girlfriend when she wasn't and so you know yeah it made a lot of sense that he pushed that onto layla and the fact that like oh she told him her real name, like, oh, I'm Layla. He's like, no, no, we can't do that. We can't call you Layla. No, I'm going to call you Wendy. I'm just like... It almost felt like a reference to Christina Ricci's uh, role in The Addams Family, where I, I believe she played another character named Wendy. Wendy Adams? Is that her name? Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. You know what? I'm totally wrong. I thought the whole time her name was Wendy, so I'm like, oh, okay, he was trying to make a, you know... <laughs> Um, this intertextual like reference to other films, but nope, guess not. Thanks for uh, tearing down that projection for me. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, this '98. This film was made. Yeah, this like I did. It just hit for me. This predates like the uh, social media sphere of projection with Wendy. This is I think yeah. I didn't ever. I didn't do the math. We're like, oh, this whole. His projections to his parents and Layla, and when and he tries it for Wendy for a second before she blows it up. Or it's, oh, you can imagine like a in a more contemporary film with the social media aspect just being like turned to eleven for Ooh. everyone. Oh yeah, on your phone you have screenshots of the multiple selfies of the same girl. Like oh, who's that? And like oh, it's my girlfriend. Actually, no, he took all those photos from her Instagram or something, or from you know, <laughs> just yeah, just the, yeah. It's a weird. It's an interesting phenomenon that it touches on that stuff that would arise years after, back in 98. That just clicked for me. Because, yeah, Billy's obsession is almost projection and, like, a weird fascination with killing Scott Woods. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love 
that entire um, that part of the story about his obsession with it because it's like he's willing to go to such great lengths to win the affection of his parents again, and I feel like that's what it all stems around because like um, even in the photo when uh, like at the dinner scene when Layla's asking like hey uh, do you have any photos of Billy when like the entire time Billy's mom is just like showing her photos of like oh here I am with the Buffalo's caterer oh here I am at the Buffalo Stadium like and it's literally just all centered around um, uh, Billy's mom's version of like what she's trying to win back. And it's like, everyone's trying to win back something in this movie, whether it is Billy, Billy's mom, Billy's dad, Rocky, uh, Layla, even Scott Woods, like everyone. And it's like, um, uh, Ben's who was, uh, in our discord that night that yes. we were doing the viewing party, he messaged me like a few days ago and he brought up like a really good point. And he's like the, uh, so Ben's, if you're listening to this, thank you for this. Um, he's like, uh, I think he mentioned that the ending was a very, it like stood out to him because it was like one of the rare moments where you see one of the characters engaging in their fantasy and then, and then choosing to like exit out of it. And I found that to be, like, really powerful. <laughs> like, even though it's Billy who does it, like, I think the fact that it was done is, I don't know, because, like, so many problems that I have with a lot of movies is, like, they raise issues without showing solutions to them. And this is one of those movies that actually does show a solution that, hey, you don't have to act upon this stuff. Um, there is a potential way out. And even though the future is bleak for Billy and... Um, these characters, it's like, yeah, that's life. Like you have to keep making proper decisions if you are to hope to become who you want to become, uh, later on down the road, because it's, it's all about self-actualization. And I don't know, I, I, I hope that like, I'd like to hope that people who are like Billy can somehow see a little bit of, of themselves in this movie and realize that, oh, maybe I'm not as great as I like to think I am and uh, do a little bit of self-reflection because I don't know. I think that that sort of stuff is very powerful and it goes back to like what we were talking about earlier with like therapy and everything like that. Like <laughs> it's like if we, if it was just more accessible, I feel like a lot of people's problems would, um, or they would view them in a different light, which I feel could do much more positive uh, reinforcement for them down the road rather than negative. And I don't know. It's like, do the mean or do the ends justify the means sort of argument. And Ben's brought up the film doesn't directly touch on it, but like with the contextual meaning of Buffalo being half in New York state and half in Canada, like you get, you can see another movie going more like, I don't, the therapy is very helpful, but it's not the end all be all answer for mm -hmm. mental issues or just the stuff Billy's going through. It's a, com it's a combination of stuff, but like I like that the little Ben's pointed out the yeah the city's half in Canada with free healthcare probably at that time and half in the U.S. where Billy's just shit out of luck. Uh, maybe go kill that guy in the strip club and then we can put you back in prison and some state-funded private prison will get billions over the course of the remainder of Billy's life. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. That's a really good point. It's not explicit in the film, but like when Ben's pointed that out, I was like, oh yeah, I could see. It's just more of a poignant finger at the American psyche and Billy's mom as well. Like the, I think that connects to like our 
she's a hyper consumer. She she's only buffalo. She's yes, yeah, it's, it's almost comical if, and sad at the same time how much she cares about a sports team, like how much yeah, how much meaning that gives her, and it's nothing. It's just a sports team, and like that happens today still. It's very prevalent. It, Billy's projections of who he is that happens today still, and it's even advanced in the tech age. Everything's been advanced since I think. I think the issues in the film have been advanced to be worse now, even. And it's just, it's an interesting perspective of only 98, so 22, 23 years ago. Shit. Yeah, it's like, it, no, you're right. It, like, definitely points a finger at, uh, you know, America's society and its own values. Like, even if you go into, like, Billy's dad character, whose, like, whole thing is wanting to be famous and to be adored by count, who knows how many people, um, like, everybody is chasing after these american values and it's very strange to see them up on screen in a very in a very uh uncomfortable way because i mean like even like this movie is very uh reminiscent of um of um oh god i'm like blanking on it um bonnie and clyde where you know you have two renegades like social outcasts who take it upon themselves to win back what they want and um, even though like this movie is a bit of a, uh, like it's quite different from that movie. I feel like it touches upon the same desires that, uh, all the characters have in it, in that movie. And one, I don't know. I, I just think it's so sad that like, I mean, even though this is like a piece of fiction that like Billy's character right after, you know, being let out of prison after five years, he's still just as worse off as he was when he went in. Like he's still making he's probably no probably worse decisions since and it just show goes to show like how broken our system in, is in terms of a the uh, prison system and like how all these things can you know they're capitalized upon to keep people coming back to it in order to keep funding people and to lining their pockets and everything like that versus a um like country and like um like in Europe where they actually had much better systems to rehabilitate inmates, you know, giving them resources to educate themselves, to uh, change themselves for the better, to actually like contribute to their lives as well as the people that they care about and others beyond that. Um, and to give them an option like, Hey, you do have a chance. Like even the fact, like, like in the U S like how, um, a lot of places like they don't want to give uh like felons like the right to vote or anything like that. It's like okay, great, you're like robbing them of even more agency. Like yeah, like I'm not justifying the fact that or I'm not uh, vindicating them for like the crimes that they committed to end up in there in the first place. But it's like you realize that you're just taking away yet another thing from them, and it's like oh, they're gonna act out even more like if you don't give them a chance. Now you brought up an inch of. Uh thing i didn't fully see but yeah billy's locked up for his crime is wanting to achieve wealth quickly through illegal gambling on a super bowl and then be yeah, going in the debt with someone who's not in a good crowd a bookie or whatever who forces him forces upon him the committed the admission of a crime he didn't commit and then he gets out and on this first day he's out he's planning to murder someone like he's directly worse off in some regards for going through the institution. Yeah, it's it's very depressing. Like, it's, and like even if you get into the actual like um, the private prisons and everything like that, it's even worse. Like, it's way worse. I don't know. It it makes me um. Like, I get that Billy's a bad person, 
And I'm not, like I said, I'm not justifying his actions or anything like that. I'm commenting on the system at large that uh, keeps people in those positions, like keeps them in that same mindset of, you know, wanting to make a quick buck or to uh, have like these sort of extremist views of like how their life should be versus how um, versus like actually settling down and taking a good hard look at yourself and um, assessing what you value most in life compared to, um, you know, these short term desires. And I don't know, I just <laughs> like I, I don't ever think the American dream was a thing. Um, I think it was all just like a marketing ploy to get people to like. I don't know, invest in like certain things. But um, aside from that, I don't know. I just, I hate, I hate the notion of the American dream. Yeah. I I think it exists, but there's a, the real threshold is on just wealth. It's Mm -hmm. like trying to go pro in soccer or basketball, whatever. It's like achieving the, or the American dream is like, like becoming an NBA player. It's like, sure, people do it, but. It's rare. You're like one the one percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a and type. Not only that, but you also have to have like you have to have like probably a good upbringing and like a good childhood and education and you know like the color of your skin probably helps too. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> All that. So which is <laughs> it's like there's so much American exceptionalism that is like um uh basically shoved into our minds like from our very first day of being alive yeah and i don't know i think that i i don't know what the solution is to um creating you know a more well-rounded society i i believe that discourse is probably one of the uh, the better ways to go about tackling issues i mean because even like with the most recent elections like you just lift up a rock and then you see all of this extremist these extremist views that like come out and and you like right now i feel like we're living in very troubled times with like uh the power that uh, the media has like within its palms of like being able to dictate the narrative and to create tribalism amongst uh you know inner you know countries and then on a micro scale too of like even just um your own micro bubbles of society i think it's terrifying and i like to hope that um People are, you know, have their own, um, have enough. No, I don't believe in common sense, actually. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I feel so ambivalent about um, whether or not I believe in society enough to hope that there is uh, room for us to change for the better or not. Because even like with uh, such larger things such as like global warming and all of these, uh, <laughs> these existential threats... To our, uh, to uh, you know, not even us, but to everyone in the world, I find that stuff to be. It's like, why aren't people paying attention to this stuff? It's like, oh, because they're obsessed with their own lives and you know, getting ahead. It's like, oh, is this because like in America, is it because of the American dream, or like, is it because of us like wanting to get a step above one another? And is it because of capitalism? Is it because of uh, the patriarchy? Like, who knows? Like, there's so many things at large only in the United States. And, like, imagine if we were in, like, another place. Like, then there's a whole other set of issues. And then when you compound all of that together, you have this little blue dot called Earth struggling with non-existent or problems that do not matter whatsoever, like, in terms of, like, the scale of the universe. And it's, like, I... 
the main one of the main reasons why I love this movie is because it explores how people hurt each other for their own gain. And it's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking because, like, even with the bowling alley, uh, alley scene with uh, Layla, you see her escape into this little bubble where she's just, like, wanting to... I don't know. Like, she, she's wanting to express herself in a nonverbal way to project, like, how who she is or who she hopes to be seen. And you see that with, like, everyone in the movie. And it's like everyone, at the end of the day, just wants to be loved. That is it. And it's so fucking sad how intangible it seems to people at times. Because it's like, if you just treat people better, like, not in a manipulative way, but in a very wholesome, like, benevolent way, things might get better and people might feel like they're understood to where they don't have to act out and hurt others. And I just want what's best for everyone. And goddamn it, it sucks. <laughs> I think that dream yeah, but then is... I won't have a, as good of a salary if, yeah. <laughs> if I do that. <laughs> it all points to capitalism and how, you know, the all these surrounding events is because the Buffalo Bills didn't win the championship, you know? Um, imagine if we had, like, an updated version of this movie where, like, you know, the Sacramento Kings beat the Los Angeles Lakers in 2002, right? Like, if we had an updated version surrounding those events, I think the city would have been... Um, what's the word? Like, I think the city would have been lifted, just like Buffalo would have been if they won that championship, possibly. Like, they, they would have been able to commercialize the idea that they're champions now, and maybe Billy would have had maybe hopefully a slightly better life because they've won because his mother's love is rooted in being a an eccentric fanatic for this team vicariously living through the success of that team and the fact that like all that is centered around this whole capitalistic idea of like your favorite team winning and then thus the economy there it's going to lift everybody. I mean, that's also a fantastical dream, you know? I think that Sacramento probably would have been similar if they didn't get fucked. I was going to say, <laughs> like, the real wealth cheated us out of that title oh, yeah, of L.A. Sure. I, I feel like you bring... Well, you bring up a really good point. And now, how do you feel about this? Like, how do you feel about the construction of the Golden One Center? I feel like... Cause oh, yeah, then my opinion, hostage. My, my opinion is that, like, right now, Sac... Like, the act of creating the Golden One Center is like of um, Billy's mom recording like the the play of like oh like this is the time that they won and like all this stuff. But they're like chasing that dream of wanting to become lifted within the uh, upper echelons of um, of I guess uh, recognition in that vein. Like, how do you feel about the Golden One Center like creation? Like, do you think it like helps or or hurts or like whatever? That's a good question. Because um, aren't aren't we all paying into that? Yeah, the so fact that we we had to take our money out of our pockets, but then like, oh, then we wouldn't have a team, right? Like, I would have been super depressed if they moved to Las Vegas or something and became the Las Vegas Kings, and I wouldn't probably wouldn't be a fan anymore. I don't know, um, because in my heart, I am a Sacramento Kings fan. I would be super depressed if they left. You know, I probably would have became Billy. I'm just <laughs> um, 
No, yeah, I, I think that's very problematic. And I think that's a good question that you bring up because, like, I don't... Yes, I think Sacramento is growing because the Golden One Center is there. We have better events. Downtown is growing. Uh, we are becoming more of a recogniz- recognizable uh, city in North Northern California. Like, we are known as the capital, but, like, no one really gives a shit about us. But, like the fuck even the owners don't give a shit about us they, they should be the ones putting in all their money into this center you know like they don't even take care of us very well and the parking sucks <laughs> i gotta pay into that too <laughs> like I, I i work when i worked there um there's too many inconveniences to be able to work there you know they say oh yeah we'll pay you a good you know salary per hour and then but then you have all these like variables and miscellaneous fees or like oh there's a certain time you can be there uh during the day and yeah the traffic is terrible and they just don't compensate all the workers that give their time you know like their time to like support this team when we are essentially funding this team in some way with our own money and we're like i don't know building we're, we're we're the ones who are building sacramento not not those billionaires you know i think that's that's upsetting to me how, how do you guys feel about it i think the kings is a good example and sacramento as a whole is like a good example of like uh the hellscape yes <laughs> of like a democratic leaning continuation of like the american system like we're very democratic leaning to certain pockets but the city is deeply segregated. The city has immense issues. And just, yeah, I'm of the philosophy of if the Kings wanted to leave, they could have left. If they were never the team then of the city. But I'm pretty fortunate where I care more about soccer than basketball directly. But, yeah, I think the Golden One Center is just like the exchange of money, like you said, amongst the millionaires building the city. There's no, like, there's no resolutions. Like, there's... It's getting worse. Like, I used to go to... I used to ride light rail like hour and a half to school for high school. And I drive by where the stop I used to go. And there's like a literal favela being built under a bridge. And so it's things have only gotten worse and it doesn't directly correlate to the golden one center being built, but it's like, sure. We get the new stadium, but like things are getting worse everywhere else. And it's just because those things don't have a profit margin. Yeah, like housing those people under the bridge doesn't make any money. So why would they do that? No, we gotta. Yeah, they gotta build the Golden One Center, and then they build that creepy loft apartment complex oh, yeah. right there with the glass that looks down on like the entire city. Mm-hmm. It's like they're literally in a crystal tower looking down on us as we walk around the city <laughs> because we're not a part of that society aspect or that that class. And it's just oh, it's like. Yeah, I look at Sacramento, I'm like, we're 10 years away from having, like, armed guards walking around with rich people and just shooting the impoverished if they get too close. But we'll still keep with the veneer of the most diverse city, the most blank city, farm the fork stuff. We'll keep up that veneer, but, like, we're the third highest human trafficking city in the state. It is disgusting. Yeah. Yes. We're deeply segregated. Like, there's there's neighborhoods that are, like, 80% African American or Black American. And yeah, it's just very, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. self and capital segregation. You're absolutely right, because we are living behind that thin veil where like, yeah, we are super diverse. But yeah, like you said, the, the, the human trafficking, the how segregated our city is, how like 
how our communities are against each other. They can say, oh, we're like the second or third most diverse place in the world, but that doesn't mean anything if our communities are not united. And I, and I still feel that we aren't together, that we're not unified. We're only kind of more divided than ever. How do you feel about Tyler? Um, I think the Golden One Center as a whole, just by itself, is good for the city. Because I think downtown Sac would be without if the Kings were like have, would have moved to Seattle. I'm sure they probably would have still like tried to revamp downtown. But I think since the Golden One Center came, I think it's been great for like the economy and businesses. But I don't. I do for sure have a problem with how the way all stadiums are funded, because most owners, most people who who own a sports team, are most likely billionaires. And it costs like hundreds of millions to build a stadium. Like I'm sure Gold One Center was probably like five hundred million dollars. And they always do. I think obviously they pay a good chunk, but like I think a lot of times it's like fifty percent. It's like the city's paying for it, like taxpayers and and stuff like that. It should just be if you want to own a team and build a stadium in a city, you and you yourself and like a group has to pay for it, and then the city can just profit from it and you can choose whatever city you want. Um, but yeah, like a lot of other, like I know like San, like uh, San Diego chargers or like in the NFL, or I think they moved there in Los Angeles now. Like I think when they were in San Diego, they were trying to like build a new stadium and have it be completely funded by uh, the city. And it was like $600 million. And oh they were all like, it was a huge like uproar because it was like the owner is like a fucking multi billionaire and not paying for it at all. And then they just reap the profits of it. But I think, I think in the big picture, I for sure think that uh, the Golden One Center is in, in the end better for Sacramento than if it wasn't there. But like what you said, Pat, like, it would be cooler, like, instead of us paying however much tax dollars citizens of the city paid towards that, like, it would be much better off if the owners could just pay for it, like, Vivek or whatever tech freaking wizard, he's got billions of dollars, pay for the whole stadium, put all that money that was towards the stadium towards, like, rehabilitating the, the city, and, yeah, SAC definitely has a lot of problems, for sure. Yeah, A lot of segregation. I actually... I mean, I knew that, but, like, just thinking about it, it's like, wow, we really do. Like, you go to, like, South Sac, compared, like, South Sac or even downtown compared to, like, Granite Bay, Roosevelt. It's, like, two different freaking worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I found the most uh, uh, funny in a very bad way about the construction of the uh, stadium is, like, right after – right when they uh, said that they were constructing it, they lifted up all of the parking meter rates – all around within oh, yeah. like yeah. a massive like range of the stadium and like even on certain days like if you park there i think it's like from like six or something i forget the exact hour range but there's a specific hour range where it's like okay if you're in here it's tripled now because you're taking up parking spaces like of people who could be going to the stadium itself and tyler i agree with you too that like i think that in the grand scheme of things it is better for Sacramento than if it didn't exist at all. But like, but there's so many like 
things under the surface that are wrong. Yeah, it's like, but at what cost? <laughs> like, yeah. and and I think that I mean the two of the biggest problems. I mean, of course, from like, uh, well, no, three of the biggest problems. I should say, um, one, the housing crisis, the housing bubble that is in this area. It's about to burst and is awful. Like, I think that, um, like Pat, you brought up the crystal, the crystal palace. Like, oh yeah, the that is right that is disgusting. It is absolutely yeah. disgusting. And it's just going to get worse. Like with COVID and everyone from like the rich people from the Bay Area moving down here, the segregation is just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All those people, people who live out here and like who maybe like like African Americans who live in like Roseville or like Granite Bay might get like pushed out or whatever. Like when the housing bubble pops, and then some rich fucker from San Francisco will just boom cash. Yep. I went to a school next to a old. It was one of the. There was a news story about this recently. That's how I know. But I went to a school downtown near CV Circle, and I think it was famously desegregated in like the '60s in California. And it's a brick and mortar projects, and uh, I graduated high school, and within three years of the the stadium being built, they tore down the old lumber yard, like an empty barbed wire fence of a field. And, yeah, it was just a projects, a lumber yard, and a food processing factory, and then my school. And I went back in college, and the lumber yard's gone. It's now a three story loft complex with the hand paved. Brick Road, oh uh, and yeah, the food processing thing's gone. There's new like boutique stuff arising in that same area, and they recently had a new story about they're trying to protect the historical significance of the projects, but now they're going like, oh, there's roaches here. And I had friends who grew up yeah. in the projects, like, no, there's been roaches there since I was born. There's always been roaches. There's always been roaches in Sacramento. Yeah, it's it's always been really bad here. And now that it's bad, now that they want to clear everyone out and build upon it and build for the higher class of people, now those things are issues that have to be resolved through them being displaced and new stuff arising for other people. Yeah, they got to push the that gentrification of Sacramento, like rebuilding Sacramento in their own image. And we're losing a lot of, of what we had. To, I, to them, yeah. I think you bring up a really good point of gentrification. Because, um, like, uh, I used to live in the Bay Area, and uh, I went back there about, like, five years ago. And it was completely different from what I from what I remember, and it was terrifying because like I was like, oh wow, they have like all these nice things around here, and then I literally saw like nobody on the streets though, and it was awful. And um, yeah, like that uh, <laughs> you bring up a really good point too about like the roaches and like everything, and like just creating like excuses to uh, tear down all of these places purely for profit and. Um, I've, I've been looking for places to move recently and, um, it's impossible. yeah, exactly. And like, um, I found like an ad for like this one place. It's like one of the boutique, like apartment places. And I just like checked it out to see like what they have there. And, um, like on the, on, in like the ad itself, like they show like all these like beautiful, like interiors of like, Oh, if you get like a one bedroom, you get like an upstairs loft and it like has all this like 
like this these uh like the aesthetic of it all is amazing because it's like all just like pipes and like wood and like all this like modern like hipster feel to it <laughs> and then like i was reading up on the reviews of it and like the people were like yeah like uh they claim it to be like this community driven like apartment place where like underneath they have all these like uh brick and mortar places but like honestly the elevator like when it's not i mean when it's actually working it just reeks of, of dog piss and like trashes everywhere and there's like roaches like come up and all this stuff and like management just does not do anything about it and it like gets me thinking about like uh the um the ice blocks that they recently built it's like a it's like that one area of downtown where it's like on s it's like a like I forget where it is, but it's, like, around, like, 10th and S or, like, R, like, that entire region. And it's, like, this new um, modern creation of, like, how housing projects are going to be, like, in Sacramento, where it's, like, the upper elite coming in and, like, buying all these, like, they're paying a premium to, like, live in their ivory towers, pretty much. And... I don't know, a small part of me was, like, laughing, because I'm like, ha like, losers, like, <laughs> and, I mean, there's even, like, the the uh, the wall, like, uh, um, the artist loft, oh, and, like, yeah. all those other places, too, like, like, Sacramento's, like, oh, and, like, even, like, what the murals are all doing and stuff, I feel like it's all just fluff, like, I don't believe that Sacramento's, like, very genuine when it comes to, um, uh, claiming that it's like, oh, you know, we're we're all about the community. Like, we care about like uh, all the, you know, being able to like have all these uh, these unique things that can draw people here. When it's like you said, it's all just a veneer. And um, I don't know. I feel like Sacramento needs an ego check, like hardcore. And because it's like for all the people that live here, it's getting more and more difficult to even live here to begin with. Yeah, everyone's getting. You're gonna. Everyone's gonna get driven out. Like, and you're going to have to move to, like, where they want you to move. They want you to go to, like, South Sac or West Sac or, or Texas or wherever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Like, get out of California. You can't. We want, like, the most affluent people here. That's crazy. That's so relevant to to me and my family because we do live in those kind of areas. And I did have a relative who left to live in texas so it's it's real um yeah yeah. when and then connecting this to buffalo like his home is on the outskirts his home is far removed and this is why i from we shared some of our perspectives of our unique experience of in california it's socially progressive but like it's very not progressive in a lot of other ways where when when I learned about the con- the context of the creator of the film and like how he should be condemned for this, this or this, it's like I still greatly enjoy Buffalo sixty six and his message resonates with that feeling I have about like the uh the issues in our community, even though we're on the opposite side of the country. Different social values, different personal values. He's still touching on the uniformity of the lower class. Mm-hmm. I, I think that since you know, we're well beyond after dark epilogue at this point we're pretty much closing it out but um yeah i think since we were yeah the parallels between buffalo and sacramento are pretty relevant i think because when we talk about even the story itself about a man who kidnaps this uh teenage girl um and you know someone brought up that we have a huge problem with human trafficking and the fact that that can so easily happen in this story um Man, I feel like we're really close to that. Like, if he could just do that, that happens. That's really prevalent here. 
in Sacramento. Dude, honestly, like... I think think that's kind of what Vincent Gallo is kind of pointing to, is that whether this girl is 16 or 18 or whatever, like, teenage girls are being just snatched off the street just like that. Dude, actually, I know somebody who just had an experience like that. Um, like they were telling me like, oh, we were like hanging out. And then all of a sudden, like one of my friends saw like a creepy person in like a van come up and like was stalking them at a gas station Mm -hmm. and literally followed them to where they were going. And they had to do like a whole runaround to, to like lose this person. And it's just, it's like, you know, cause we're all, we're all guys here. Like we don't deal with that problem. Yeah, um, I, don't know. I mean, I'm sure that like there are some instances where it does happen. I don't know, but I feel like to be a woman in Sacramento is so. I don't know. I I don't know if I could even take it because it just seems like such an encroachment on like my own life. Like there are so many worries that all of us have to deal with throughout our daily lives, but to have that on top of it with like, Oh, I could potentially get kidnapped and sold into, uh, you know, the black market or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just find it to be so disgusting and so awful. And the fact that like, it's not even that talked about here, it's kind of, it's kind of on like the hush hush. And like even like going back to like under the silver lake like from a few weeks ago like i don't know i feel like that stuff should definitely be brought out to the forefront more and i'm hoping that things are being done about it because like i mean i always see helicopters like flying by like and making announcements like saying oh be on the lookout for this person they were last seen here and like they're trying to find like whoever was kidnapped recently and there are so many ads, or not ads, but, like, photos of, like, people being, like, oh, last seen here. Last... And it's it's just so heartbreaking. <laughs> yep, but we got the kings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... <clears throat> that was pretty dark, but we were in the after dark portion, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's close this out. I, I feel like we hit on, man, a vast topics and they're very controversial and i like that we get to talk about that because i don't think this conversation or i don't think we're having enough discourse about all of these things and they're very taboo and they need there needs to be more awareness of what's going on here and yeah i think yeah wow i didn't expect for us to talk about buffalo and sacramento and how <laughs> similar our situations are um yeah, I think because of this conversation, I kind of like the movie less. I'm not gonna lie, I can't lie with you guys. Like, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. That's never happened to me. I feel like I was gonna like it more, but I don't know. I That's... think because of all the things that we brought up and how I feel, it's so much more idealized now that that ending is saying like, oh yeah, you know, they can have this relationship. It is like. No, I think for the most part, maybe nine times out of ten out of every situation, that person's getting kidnapped and going to the black market or having this extremely weird toxic relationship that's going on. And maybe, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. This, this uh, is, yeah. I, I see your perspective, but I think, the, I think the resolution of the film is, like Kevin said, it's just the decision to kill Scott Woods. Or not like that's the real client. That's the real resolution the film is having. Like their relationship and the context of it is like backseat to that. And for me, the whole film is please, please run from this man. That from beginning to the end, that's what I was thinking the whole time. Please get out, get out of there. It's like the movie Get Out. Just get out. 
that and that yeah. But yeah, I see your perspective, but yeah, I like it. I know it's corny and it leans on the love angle, but yeah, I think there's like it's just it's doing something with love or the concept of that for Layla and Billy's relationship. It's not meant to be a realistic or realism look about the stuff that happens when a young girl is kidnapped. It'd be a far darker movie. And yeah, I just think yeah, the resolution is to kill or not, and the grow or not. Yeah, I like the resolution too. I think, or like just to just to care for people like that, like like say like the homeless or something. You know, like a lot of people just brush it off to the side, and it's like if there was a little bit more care and concern for that community, then you know a lot of people could be could be helped and like saved from you know just like an endless pit of nothingness um but yeah this is a good pod good some good discourse here i really i really like the film good good suggestion kevin yeah um i want to pick up on some points that you guys were bringing up like uh first like what you were saying pat like the like you feel that um the point was like getting to the point of like to kill and i feel like it goes even like a step above that where it's like okay like it if we're gonna like really delve into nihilism like which this movie is like a pretty good encapsulation of um he also struggles with the notion or he doesn't even like struggle with the notion he accepts that he's going to kill himself because there's no point to anything and like he's seeing like all these things that are occurring around him where it's like if you could just stop doing what you're doing and like do something differently then you could potentially like enjoy your life a bit more and not suffer nearly as much because of your actions and it's like but the path that billy is going down it's like oh well nothing matters um even after long after i'm dead i still want to have like this notion built up to my parents that like maybe even in death or maybe after i die they will somehow love me which goes back to that scene where um he sees that play out in the final moments of the movie where he recognizes that he will never win the love and affection from his parents. So, and even in death, but he chooses to go against that and say, well, Oh, I don't need their love. I don't need it. Or I don't need it. Um, as much as I thought I did. And that there is hope for me to somehow, uh, climb out of this pit of nihilism because I feel like, that in and of itself is what causes a society to crumble <laughs> very quickly is when there is, um, cause there are people who like, I mean, cause if you go into absurdist thought, you can also say that, Oh, well, um, anyone who believes in hope, like clearly, uh, hope is, is not something you should cling on to because it's, it's all about like how you engage with the world. It's what you manifest for yourself. But I, I am of the mindset that hope is a very strong thing to uh, hold on to if used properly. Because um, if you hold on to hope in a very passive way, that's very self-destructive. Because you're pretty much like a tourist waiting for the attractions to find you. Whereas if you take on a very active approach to your life of manifesting things and um, being virtuous and kind to others, then you can. there is hope for you to find meaning in your own life. And to not harm others, and um, like uh, like you were mentioning, Tyler, with the with um, you know, if people can just like be more caring and considerate of others, like it reminds me of the square of that yeah. movie that we're like, because uh, that's like a whole other issue of like homelessness, and it's like if people just actually care just a little bit more, even in like the prison system 
of like showing them like, hey, um, we know that you did this and like whatever, um, but we're going to try and help you as best as we can and not try and profit off of you. I feel like that can create a very large turning point for society and like how it values people and not as like a throwaway item because like Billy considers himself to be a throwaway object. He's like a one and done boom, kills himself. That's it. And he doesn't want that. So he decides not to go with it. And I think that that is what the movie was ultimately building up to. It doesn't necessarily matter about the relationships, about his character or anything. It's what do you do in a certain moment where it tests everything you know about uh, your life up to that point in time, what do you do in that moment? Do you accept life? Do you embrace life? Or do you choose death? Mic drop. And that ends our 27th episode of Lay Film. Thank you for sticking with us. If you guys stuck around this long, follow us on Lay Film Podcast. We have all of our Twitter or Instagram handles on there. And you guys can email us at layfilmpodcast at gmail.com if you have any reactions or comments or about anything that we said. Um, you know, thank you again for listening to our epic episode. I think this is one of the longest we've ever done. So, yeah, sayonara.